please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. We've got the clap. There's a so, couple of them. There's a, there's a couple of clap in there. It's is it? Do do you have the clap or some clap? I don't know. It's it's a thing. You look. look I was polishing my guitars earlier. Look where I left my rag. Yeah, no. I left right. it right like on the last ball. I was like, yeah, fuck. <laughs> yes. You the other one sitting behind the Aerodyne. See it? Yeah, see I it don't really polish on. my. I like when I take them down to play them, then I wipe them off, and it's like yeah. whatever. But. And, yeah, I've got the the so as you saw the SG is sitting here. I was actually getting ready. You told me to record over something I'm not used to, so yeah. I took I took a funk track. I took a um, okay, like a, a a soul. They call it a soulful funk or something. Yeah, and that's that's a good track to st- like thing to start with because it's just it's all, it's a groove and it's all about the groove, you know. Yep, and so it's like a doom bam doom. You know, and it's like kind of yeah, like I what we were watching played to that track before. So, oh, I'm sure I'm doing this, and I have a couple that come into mind, and I'm like, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> you know, so so speaking of those tracks, I reached out to because it came from um, uh, what is it, Elevated Jam Tracks, right? Yeah, and yeah. I figured I'd throw them a few bucks because hey, you know, they, they're not going to keep creating Elevated Jam Tracks if. Um, well, they're getting they're getting paid by views too. Uh, yeah. and forget that you know that's kind of their their stock and trade is like if you well jam track. yeah, but if you want to use their jam track like I'm gonna do, I'm gonna put oh it right. If you want to use it for some sort of okay, so it's like we're gonna I have to license it right right to be able to play it. And they said if you if you buy the tracks, then you have you automatically get a license and you get literally hundreds of tracks. You don't just yeah just buy two or three. But I asked them. I said, look, because they've got like um uh, uh entire uh the entire list like you can get um all of the uh um light blues dirty rock you know, yeah whatever. right right and they're like 20 bucks a piece or something i'm like yeah fuck it. I'll, I'll just pay for it i'll get 700 freaking tracks or a thousand tracks geez yeah. so um and i think in all um there's like 1700 1400 tracks there's a lot of tracks there's so many it doesn't really matter i mean once you get over a thousand who can you're never going to play to a thousand tracks yeah, but yeah, now you want right. licensing to use them right so i wrote to the guy and i said look if i buy all of your compilations do i get any kind of a break on it um and are those compilations everything so that i know hey if i find this track online i can find that track in your in your track yeah I never got a response, so I don't know if he's not really interested in the sale of them anymore or something. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't think it's all that creating. big a deal with them, and it's an automated yeah. sales process, and they figure people are going to buy them by the individual. And yeah, I, I'm I just going to buy I, the whole. I never I'm bought buy tracks them. and played to them like that, so I never really run into. That. In fact, when you said licensing, I was thinking, I was like, what the hell are you licensing? Oh, that's why because we're going to use it on the show. That's right. something we typically end up doing. So right, and so I, I I'm thinking um, I'm gonna buy I'm gonna buy the compilations anyway. It's like seventy dollars for every, everything, right? And so that's that's like or sixty dollars, and that's three of yeah, them. Yeah, that's not much. So it's not enough Either. money to to worry about. But I was just curious if it was everything, and if I could get a couple of bucks off. Um, so there's that. Um, 
as you know, I've got car trouble, so I'm not going out much. So I'm not spending any yeah. money. It's yeah. even getting easier uh, not to spend money. Although Funko had, uh, <laughs> it was Funko week last week, and my son's like, Dad, Dad, Dad. Uh, it's a fake and he, holiday. And he goes, yeah, it was a fake holiday all week. There was seven days of Funko. So he's like, Dad, Dad, this one came out. So we we purchased, um, we, we both ordered, there's a Superman that's got yeah. like got the a reproduction of Action Comics, kind of like the the um, ACDC one that I bought. There's yeah. another ACDC. I purchased that one. I've, I pre-ordered actually. It's in Jan- July or something. It's coming. It's a um, it's uh, Angus Young with Highway to Hell in the background. And then right. there's um, uh, they've only done one Hendrix. Do you know how much the Hendrix Funko Pop goes for? Oh, it's um, probably yeah. insane. Cause, yeah, cause it's close to a thousand dollars. All the licensing of the Hendrix Family Partnership controls well, the licensing. That it's it's not just that right now because it's in the used market only. They only did it once. I guess I guess the family. Right, that's what I'm saying. They only allowed it to be done once, which is why it that the one that's out there is like astronomical because it's like a thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's crazy or seven hundred dollars. It's it's super expensive. I mean, it gets <laughs> up there with like the ten inch um, number one Batman and. All yeah, this other yeah, stuff. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, and it's really one of the only rock ones that sells. I've got the Rush one. That's worth like 200 bucks because um, uh, of the passing of uh, Neil Parrott. Um, and right. I've got Willie Nelson. I bought the Willie Nelson one just recently because I'm like, yeah, I'm hedging my bets on that one. Um, yeah. Oh, God, that's awful. But it's true. <laughs> that's an awful feeling. But, you know, he's 80. I, I want to say he's 80. Yeah, like the fact that he's still walking around is pretty nuts. I'm giving that. Hey, that guy's done some hard living. Let's just put it that way. Oh, yeah. He was. <laughs> yeah. He he was definitely um, the space cowboy. Um, let's see. Uh, what else has been going on? Oh, I, um, I got a couple of acts. Heaven reproductions of my my um, uh, Gibsons, right. so um, I have an Axe Heaven reproduction of that one and the SG. But I, this one is still coming. The the, the cherry uh, thing they they just happened to be ones they did already. I didn't I didn't um, what do you call it? Consign I'm just them rolling to... my eyes because I'm like, dude, do you even need that? And then well, yeah. And then I bought um, so for the Funkos, I. I I went crazy. I don't know what I was saying. I bought all of the um, uh, the the Valentine's Day Star Wars ones. Don't ask me why. Oh, little da- Valentine's with, with like Darth Vader's holding a Be My Valentine thing. And then, and then I bought. Um, uh, I ordered the Devo. They have Devo in. Um, it's just one of the characters, but it's got Devo in the I Can't Get No Satisfaction video from Saturday Night Live when they wore the the like yeah. um, COVID nineteen. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the yellow the yellow uh. uh um, has mad suits and then i got the devo um uh the weird hat from whippet oh that's the, yeah that's the cereal bowl the, yeah. yeah the cereal bowl the upside down uh, um uh flower pot um and uh what else did i get um i ordered um oh geez it's just great oh i ordered um 10 inch uh versions of of um they're going to come in here. I'm going to put them in here somewhere. I'm going to start getting uh, shelving in here so I can put these things up. Um, I ordered the 10-inch version of uh, of, of Godzilla and, and King Kong because of the new movie coming. Yeah, no, so that that I can get a little bit excited about. But yeah. I don't know. I just – I'm like I'm totally over collecting that stuff. I just – I don't have a place for it. And I got – you know, from when I was a kid, we used to collect stuff like that. And I just got like – I, I still got stuff of my parents that's like just oh, boxes of that stuff that I need to go through. And I'm like, I am not creating this mess for myself any further. 
Well, you can see these four albums, right? And these are albums I had when I was a kid. And, yeah. and the first person that, you know, would say, Jim, you don't have a record player. And I don't. Um, so why do I own these? Well, it's just kind of like nostalgia. That's all it is. Nostalgia. I mean... Yeah. It's literally nostalgia. So the one that's <laughs> like you said, I got to take the, the, so they're yeah, all in the shipping I think plastic. The plastic will eventually, because it, it, it puts off a gas. I think it I think does. It yeah. I think you're right. So I'm going to take the plastic off. You can see that's, uh, so that's dark side of the moon, animals, wish you were here and, and, um, the, uh, the wall by the time the wall came out that was my last vinyl probably one of the last vinyls i bought uh, because because um i went in the navy so i was buying cassettes so uh finally right. i owned on cassette and then by the time i did start to go back to a full a medium that was like that it was cds because in the mid 80s right. right cds, CDs right. actually came out on, like become a real popular yeah so, it was the first year for consumer cd player 79 i think we looked that uh, up one time I, it, yeah, um, 82, 82, I think 82, 82 was when the first, the first, um, popular ones for home came out, but the first, the first release one was like 79. It was like $10,000. Yeah. or something. Yeah. It was yeah. super, super expensive. And by the time I got one in 86, I think 86 or 87, I bought one Montgomery wards. If you remember them was going out of business and I bought um, the I bought uh, one that was in there that was a Panasonic six disc changer that was regularly like fifteen hundred dollars or some ridiculous yeah. number like that. I got it for a hundred and fifty dollars. I got it for ninety percent off uh, because it was sitting there. I think somebody tried to hide it, um, and so it was sitting now in a you- place where. You were right. It is 1982 that the first uh, digital audio compact discs. Gave That's you. what I thought. Yeah, I was talking. I don't know why I was thinking 79. 79 was when they were uh, when they started. Maybe 79 uh, is VHS. That no, VHS was out in the yeah. earlier 70s. I think 79 was when they started create when they came up with the idea, and it was actually 79. Isn't that when they came out with Laserdisc? Um, or was it earlier than that? No, I know laser exit disc, stage left left was the only laser, laser disc was I ever later, um, considerably later. Well, no, because uh, I, I watched exit stage left on laser disc. That would have been eighty or eighty one. No, so it was. It originally showed up uh, as Disco Vision. Yep. In nineteen seventy eight, so it wasn't yeah. technically laser disc until night like nineteen eighty nine or some shit. But um, it, it, its origins go back further than that. Yeah. Disco Vision. Yeah, Disco Vision in 78. And my cousin had the um, the laser disc player um and uh he had Exit Stage Left and I remember watching Exit Stage and, and what what killed me was so Exit Stage Left um the the laser disc had uh the the full drum solo that that uh, Pert did on YYZ. And so right. I rushed out to buy the CD when it came. I was like, oh, yes, I'm going to get the CD. It's not a, yeah, it wasn't Exit on the stage CD. left, and it wasn't on the CD. I was like, what are you kidding me? Really? They, they don't have room? Because back then, I don't know if you remember, CDs, the, the codec for CDs wasn't very good. And so if you had a you double know, you had album. Minutes. You had 80 minutes. Yeah, 80 minutes. They didn't put the – they had to – because what they did was they did that to uh, Iron Maiden's Live After Death and they did it to um, uh, that where they, they took music out to fit it into that 80 minutes. 
Yeah, because they didn't want to put it on a second disc or whatever, and that's probably what you're running up against. A lot of times, you'll find that they did that even though uh, they didn't need to, though, and they did it because the original vinyl copies of the music, they wanted it to match the vinyl record, and it was like, well, we're just going to cut off this section, and it'll only be available in the live film, you know? Exactly. What the hell? (laughs) It was crazy. I finally got the version that has that full long... uh, uh, because that's an incredible that's a very musical probably one of the musical most musical drum solos i've ever heard in my life um anyway then then uh um in uh what's funny is pink floyd's um the wall has a similar uh story the wall had a um, a couple of songs one was when the tigers broke free and one was uh, um uh uh is there anybody out there no before is there anybody out there was called um Oh geez, I can't remember. Anyway, um, uh, they 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 had to remove when the tigers broke free, which was in the movie and not on the album, and right. they removed the long version of. Jeez, um, uh, I can't remember. Anyway, and and I really loved. I look. I read all the lyrics. You know, because when you got the album, you got the lyrics on the album. Right. And the album lyrics were they included when the tigers broke free. Um, and they included the long version of that one song. And I was like, my album's broken. I literally yeah. thought, because I had I had received an album once, um, a record. Oh, it wasn't a record. It was a cassette um, that was mo- was missing. And it was, it was it, you're going to laugh, but it was Saturday Night Fever. I got Saturday Night Fever, and it was missing the, sec- the, the whole second side. And when I brought it back, they go, there's nothing missing. You're crazy. There's no way they could have missed it. They did. They missed the entire yeah. second side. And um, so I was, yeah, I was like, what the hell's wrong with this album? And I, and it wasn't until years later because you didn't have anything that told you anything about, like, you didn't have the internet yeah. to tell you, oh, this broken. It, it's broken. Yeah, that Tigers Broke Free is, is like, not on the record. Like, and, and, and I think they did some sort of reissue at some point that had it. Yes. Which... Because I know it's on Echoes, like, that was a big deal when they put it on Echoes, but, um, which is actually kind of funny, because, like, that's supposed to be their retrospective, right? And then here's this song that wasn't actually on the record, um, the original release. And I, I sort of, I sort of recall, Uh, like, when it came out on CD, they were able to put it on there. And so they did, but. No, not on the first CDs, on the, on the reissues. So empty spaces was the call. Cause the first, so like, if you didn't know this, Jim, you know this, but uh, for our audience, like when CD first started happening, a lot of times they were just taking the, the, the record masters and literally pressing them to CD, like going straight to production to CDs without, without doing a master. And that happened later. So I have uh, like the doors catalog. I have all of that stuff. Uh, prior to remasters and then i have the remasters and i have the genesis catalog which is like massive like 18 records or something i have all of them that way too and you can hear the difference going from step to step to step like the difference in quality and stuff and it's actually it's actually kind of interesting um if you put them in your itunes library and then listen to them song by song like you listen to the same song three times and you'll realize oh they really did make a difference there but it, it led to a massive record collection i had like 60 or 90 records at one point that were all like basically the same CD. Um, so this is, this is how much of a nut I am about Pink Floyd. So I have, I have this, it's, it's the immersion. Right. And this is the, the wall. 
Um, there's two others. There's um, Dark Side of the Moon, and there's uh, Wish You Were Here. But in here, <laughs> look at this. Um, there yeah. is uh, there were seven discs in here, and um, this thing went for about one hundred forty five dollars. You can find them, um, but it's not. It, you won't find a first print unless you find one that you're lucky enough somebody left it in the thing. But um, the uh, so this uh, had the first time I was able to hear all those songs, the way they were meant to be recorded. And what's funny is that it also has a whole disc of all of Roger Waters' um, uh, demos. Yeah. And they are awful. I mean... <laughs> yeah, they're usually not very good. Like, I've heard the ones for Dark Side of the Moon, and I'm like, really? Like, that's what they used to make that song? So you can see how much uh, impact he had producing it uh, for, for his name offhand. Oh, um, uh, uh, Alan Parsons. And, of course, Parsons, for The Wall, it was... Like, um, for the wall, it was Bob Ezrin, um, but yeah, he. the The funny part is, so when they did, and I know what you're talking about. There's this, there's this famous one. You guys can find it online. Um, American Eagle did a, a great series on um, classic albums. Yeah, they did. And it, Aja, they put the money, the money one in there. The money it's, one. It's awful. It is terrible, uh, and and it shows you just how much Roger Waters cannot sing in tune. It. it he is yeah, a I mile mean, off. I mean, yeah, and and then he had to like as the time went on, he wanted to become more of the focus, and it was like, dude, sometimes being a great like musician is knowing when to step back. Yeah, uh, and, and knowing nobody when was complaining to... about your bass playing, you know. Right? Like, let's let's be real here. Like, uh, well, actually, it... it's funny because when you when you mention his bass playing, that's actually David Gilmore playing the bass on one of the most famous Pink Floyd bass lines, which is um, "Welcome to Is It Welcome to the Machine," where he goes, yeah. you know, yeah, where... no, sure, sure, and and like I guarantee you, there's stuff on those albums where Waters played an acoustic guitar, or you know, oh yeah, 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 there there are, like on Mother, yeah, that's not surprising, but you actually. So we're talking about it. Uh, actually, I think the most interesting thing about that record, Dark Side of the Moon, since, since we're talking about that specifically, was that like so much of that was made in the studio, and it was really the band's input as to the music side of it. And yeah. less water, like, because the wall's a whole other animal, right? So it's like water, Waters wrote this big magnum opus of lyrical content yeah. to go with this to go with basically these like bare bone chords changes that they went in and they of course made a record out of by, you know, jamming this stuff out and basically yeah. waters being a dictator the entire time it was going on. And, um, which is funny because he, in the movie, the character that like I most associated with, with waters, voice is the dictator. Yeah. He becomes you know? like, the dictator. He becomes a, a Hitler esque I mean, character. Like, yeah. He saw himself as being that, but he didn't realize he'd actually become that person. Like, he, he he thought he had stopped himself, and like this record was like him admitting that this could have happened. No, dude, it did happen. You yeah. are still that person today. <laughs> like yeah. you just don't realize it. Yeah, um, you did it, and you're still doing it. Yeah, yeah. It's it, as much as you like to think you're not. You 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 went down that path, and you cannot turn back now. And he uh, had no so, he had no um uh, real um uh, he had no real f family feelings for his band because. Um, if Definitely, yeah. anybody remembers, uh, Rick Wright was going through a divorce at the time and, yeah. uh, um, it was very painful for him. And, in, um, instead of standing by him, which Gilmore did and, and unfortunately, 
uh, Mason always just sat on the drums and did his thing. He didn't get into anybody's business. So um, Waters uh, and and Gilmore went head to head on that, and they and Waters kicked right out of the band. He was the only person who made money on the tour. Um, it's a it's a um, known fact that, as far as the four members, the four original members. He was he was no longer a member of Pink Floyd. And if you look at the album and if you read the album, it goes. It goes um, Pink Pink Floyd. It goes David Gilmore, or I mean uh, Roger Waters, David Gilmore, Nick Mason, Rick Wright is not on there. Later yeah. they added him because he did play keyboards, but he played as a studio musician. Yeah, and he it played. Makes, as a, yeah, it it, hurt, it hurts to see that kind of stuff, especially yeah. from a band that's so beloved. That like those dudes freaking like. Three of the members loved each other, and well, maybe not even so much that. I think they had their falling outs too. But like, Roger Waters basically divorced himself from everybody else and crowned himself yeah. king. Yeah. Like, that's really jacked up. Yeah. And that is definitely, like you said, did not see the rest of his family and kind of just took control of the outfit. It was yeah, um, it was really a bad move because he destroyed his relationship with the with the rest of the band. And no matter what he did. Bands. Oh yeah! No matter what he did on um, uh, what was it? Uh, his kind of his leftover songs from the wall and um, and the final cut became um, what is it? Something about hitchhiking. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And and Clapton even played on that album, and it, it nothing could save it. It was a hot mess. Yeah, and it was like it didn't chart very well either. It was no, uh, and yet um, Gilmore sat. He he. Yeah, I mean, to like take he owned some records in pretty much, and was yeah, like, about face. Yep. Yeah, and then the and then of course he did. Uh, he did. Uh, what's the the one with the blue cover? The one that's really really good. Uh, oh, like um, recently, like well, not recently, probably fifteen years ago. Well, Jesus, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, they did um, uh, um, momentary well, lapse of does, reason and. Big Floyd, though, but like as his his album. oh oh about uh, um oh what is it about an island or on an, on, on an island. island yeah yeah um, that was quite a while ago this it's an unofficial Pink Floyd record um yeah but, yeah I mean like that's, yeah because that, I kind of look I kind of look at that and I go Waters you missed the boat like you didn't yeah. realize what was even what people were interested in that band nobody cared about the lyrics and, and I mean they did but it was like it was the whole experience and he threw it all away thinking, Oh, well my words are what's selling this. Like, no, your words have nothing to do with why this is selling. Yeah. Like you're, you're on crack out in the field somewhere. Yeah. And the only reason I think on an Island was a, uh, was a David Gilmore album was because, um, if I can remember correctly, uh, Wright played on it. I know that for a fact, yeah, Wright yeah, played yeah. On it. but I think Mason didn't. And, no, I don't um, think Mason did. Uh, it and I was, think it was a health issue, believe it or not. Yeah, uh, and Pratt, who was playing bass for Pink Floyd, he was the he was the Roger Waters replacement. He did everything. He did, yeah. did the vocals for Roger Waters when they were live. Um, right. uh, Chris or not Chris Pratt? <laughs> Chris Pratt. Uh, no, um, I don't think so. <laughs> try again. <laughs> <laughs> and now I can't remember his name because yeah. I just said Chris Pratt, but um, his name is Pratt. Anyway, he, he played, um, he did the Roger Waters stuff. So he was on, um, everything that, that Gilmore did until relatively recently. Um, yeah. Gilmore's just a statesman. You see him and he's just, he's just, a he's too level headed for that shit. He's a jolly, nice old man. Though. He is. I he's mean, just, basically that's kind of where he's at. Like, 
Uh, it, I'm sure been... he had piss and vinegar when he was younger, but now he yeah. just seems like, you know what? I've made a lot of money and uh, I'm okay. I think he was probably the most level-headed of the whole team. Well, dude, like, look at it. Look at his. I mean, he just sold. I and I, I thought he was going to announce he was terminally ill or something, but he just yeah. sold like all of the guitars that all were of... responsible for his legacy. And his attitude about it was like, "Well, I can get new guitars." Yeah, what? yeah, and it, and it's, <laughs> no. it, it, and he said it's time for them to create music for other people. Um, which, uh, you know, uh, I thought, I was, like, I thought was fantastic. But, no, you mean it's wow. time to create, create, uh, um, investment opportunities for hedge funds. Well, you uh, know what? Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I hate to, yeah. So, you know, with Gilmore, he gave all that money. No, no offense to, I mean, the guy can give it to anybody he wants and give it to a bum on the street, but to put it where he did, uh, to have a philosophical educate, um, an educated, uh, uh, discussion about what he did with that money. Um, you're not going to save the planet with a few million dollars and it's not going to bring anything to what he was doing. And it, I think. Oh, we I, know enough about it. I mean, like, I think it's more about awareness at that point than the, than the financial contribution. Well, maybe, I don't know. I, I think he, I think a lot of it though, went to feed people, which is, which is where it should have gone. Yeah. Um, but I think a good portion of it also went to um, um, one of those like what is that Greta Thunberg or whatever her her whole thing and I was like oh god, um, but not to not to um, you know I don't want to politicize this thing or anything. It's just that that it's a it's a drop in the bucket um, to what really needed to be done. To the name of the charity is Client Earth, by the way. I went and looked. Client it up. Earth. That's it. It was yeah. Client Earth. Yeah. Um. um. But you, you know, know I, again, he can he can do what he wants. It's just that it's going to take billions to, and it's going to take the 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 changing of minds in places that we have yeah. no control over. None of the so, Western world has control over. So I don't so, want to switching gears, family and music and all that. Uh, did you you sent me the video that was the um, the Nam coverage from Gibson about the Mesa Boogie transition? Yep. Yep. All right. I watched this video. Yep. Uh, let me give you my impression of it. So it was like basically Randall Smith introducing the fact that like he's not getting any younger and that he needs uh, somebody to steward his his uh, 40 plus family members that are working for him into a new era uh, posthumously. So um, the way that he positioned this conversation in this interview is like. Uh, nothing's changing. I'm still running the company, uh, which is which is very much what we've already heard, right? I'm I'm still running the company, and I will be running the company until I'm dead. Now, right, right. I watched this. I actually watched this before you sent it to me. I, I I'd seen it. Oh, you did. Okay, a, a few days before, but um, it was interesting because. I've seen some people suggesting they may be in the know, and I don't know if it's true or not in various places, forums like, like the gear page and places like that. Um, where people have said like, well, allegedly what really happened was Randall Smith had already entered in, into an agreement with uh, Gibson to start designing amplifiers for them and that they didn't feel comfortable having them produced elsewhere. Cause it was like, you know, where else are we going to go? There's not many places in the United States. We'd have to start our own shop. Like, we don't know the first thing about doing this. And 
that was when the you know the conversation shifted. So if you don't know anything about Mason Bowie's product development cycle is years. When yeah. they when they start developing an amp like um, I think you talked about the the dual rack when they first did the the dual rack line of amps, like they did like four or five years of R and D, um, before they actually put put out a product. And it was like we knew what we were gonna do, and we had iterations that were functional. You know, it you know a year or two, and we just kept massaging it until it was ready for production. And um, if you've ever seen, there's a video where he shows like his workshop, and they pull out all these chassis that are just like this is prototype one, and this is prototype you know revision two, and he's got 15 chassis for the for the dual rack, you know, and it's like um, it, it kind of puts things into perspective where. Gibson could have approached him two years ago and been like, we got to, we got to get something going in the amp market. Like we know that you obviously design amps and you love doing it. And like, we're willing to pay you a buttload of money to design this an amplifier. And I'm wondering, cause there's been some other restructuring going on over at Mesa Boogie. Like they changed their, um, their transformer supplier. And I think their, their existing transformer supplier, uh, supplier actually went out of, went out of business. Um, but they flipped the script fast. It wasn't like it wasn't like they they struggled to find somebody that could produce the transformers in the quantity and quality that they needed. It was almost like they had somebody lined up, and they just switched production. And that's what I'm kind of wondering is like maybe some of these things were falling into place as a result of some of these other things that were already going on. And there's like a lot of there's a lot of speculation, at least in my mind right now, that what this deal really is, is like, okay, we needed a custom shop. We already had this relationship with Randall Smith. We seemed to get along really well. Randall liked us. And it was a mutual thing at that time. But it also seems like the way he framed it was like, the deal is structured so that until my death, I still own like 51% of the company. And then maybe posthumously, the other 51% gets gets divvied out to the employees. And then Gibson owns 49%. So the company is still the tiebreaker. But you would have to have complete consensus amongst the employees to go against the parent. You know what I mean? Like that kind of situation where it's going to be a little bit of a tug of war um, and not so much a Gibson plowing through the organization and being like, no, this is the way we're doing things now. Um, that they would have to get the employees' consensus to agree to go to go on with those things that sounds like the randall smith that i you know have have spoken with and stuff um or at least been in the room where you know he's spoken and talked to him briefly um that sounds like randall smith like you know okay we're gonna do this but we're gonna do it on my terms and protecting his employees because uh, that's always been a big thing for him so i i honestly i took away from this it, it was a positive thing um now Here's actually what I want to talk about, though. So after that video ended, uh, I just I was doing something else. The next video started, and it was Gibson doing their 2021 NAM rollout. You know, we've done this and we've done that, and you know, everybody is now talking about how good quality Gibson is and whatever. And I'm like, dude, what are you on? Like, all right, first off, it's been it's been two years. Okay, I know you want to you want to pretend like you've made this big splash and everybody's in your court, which I, probably most people are, right? Like everybody went wild for the Epiphone stuff. Um, the new Gibsons I've seen have been they've been okay. I I don't think they're perfect. I mean, 
I, I still struggle with um, the couple of Les Pauls I played in the in the 2019-2020 range that were like they had like a binding issue or they had like something wrong with with uh, like a high fret in the in the you know around where the hump sits you know 21 22 20, you know 18 19 20 21 22 um but i thought they were better than what what i was seeing before the nuts seemed to be cut better like i didn't i don't think i've seen any with like huge nut issues I'm trying to think um but i've only played a couple and honestly like in order to win people over um, I think they have to do this consistently for quite some time to, to break the stigma. Now, here's, here's the, the evidence I want to provide for this before I, before I get your thoughts, Jim. Um, the, the Mesa Boogie thing, ha- or actually, no, I want to go back. I want to go back to, uh, I was, I already had in my, in my mind, the, um, the guy that does the social media for them, I forget what his name is. Um, they're, they're head of marketing or whatever. Agnesi. Now. Agnesi. So Agnesi came out and he did the play authentic video, right? The, the hostage video. And uh, everybody was like, oh my God, this is going to make them look so bad. And then they started suing everybody. And it was like, oh my God, Gibson's, you know, Gibson's falling apart. And Gibson's... So that stuff already at this point has largely faded. Okay. Like people are not really actively thinking about the Gibson lawsuits and the Gibson Agnesi hostage crisis video. So... I think the lifespan of things coming out of Gibson, maybe like like the the mindset, those people that that are against Gibson have already had like that thing come and go, right? You know what I mean? Like it just it was there and then it's not there anymore. Um, but it was interesting because like all those feelings were b- brought back up when they bought Mesa um, by a lot of those people. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot I hate Gibson, um, you know. But I but it's like they things around that company don't seem to linger. And so, so I was wondering, like if they have this whole new big splash product, I would think that it, that the same like kind of thought process would drive that. It's like somebody would look at the situation and they would go, okay, they have, they have switched gears. Great. And then slowly that memory fades and, and it comes down to proof in the pudding. Right. Um, so I just wonder like how long that time, time period is going to take before everyone accepts that, their quality standards have increased and that they're putting out the right line of products. And I will be critical in a moment, but I'll, I'll let Jim talk for a minute. That. So uh, here, here's the way I saw it because I'm looking at it from a different perspective, obviously. And I'm looking at a perspective of a Gibson player. I mean, I love my Gibsons, right? Love, you love your strats. I love my Gibsons. Um, and, uh, and I'm not saying you love Fender. That's not, <laughs> that's no, not that's, what I said. That's, that's not awesome. what I said. And I know I that's not what you said. Either of those companies. <laughs> um, okay. So let me say this. So I have, I have three Gibsons, all three of them. No, four. Um, but it doesn't matter. The acoustic is a different thing. The, it's almost like they just, the acoustics have kept going the way they kept going. It comes out of, um, I think it's somewhere in Montana or, uh, or, uh, Washington. Montana. It's Bozeman, it's, Montana. Okay, Washington. Yeah, I was right, Montana. Um, but I didn't want to. I've been wrong before. <laughs> I only know that because they mentioned it in the video. So yeah. So Montana's been doing what Montana does, and people. I can tell you this, and, and there's a lot of people that that agree with me. But uh, Gibson acoustics are awesome. They're expensive. They're awesome. Period. But um, uh, this this is uh, this is where I was going with it. When it comes to, so they didn't mess with that. They were like, okay, that's working. Don't touch it. 
Don't break it. It's fixed. It's already fixed. Don't break it. And so now you have to take a company that's got, I don't know how many people work at the, at the plants, but when, when, when all this started, when all this initiated, right, we're, we're talking almost, almost three years ago now, um, it's been over two years, uh, when uh, uh, the, the whole thing went over, okay, 2018. And so, um, so we're going into that because I think it was some summer of 2018 when it actually changed over. Because 2018 NAM didn't really see any changes. It was after NAM, it was into the summer. So anyway, um, uh, here's here's what I've seen because I have a I have a um, SG that's a standard from that. I have the the Les Paul that's a, sta- that's a standard from that. I have the ES335 that's from that. Um, of the uh, and I unboxed a buttload of them, okay, at Guitar Center, a buttload. Um, and I didn't do the old ones, okay? I wasn't there for the old ones. I worked at Guitar Center uh, 2019, 2020, and then I just left. So I unboxed a lot of, of the the ones that are new. What I saw was very consistently people loved them, okay? The, now, these are the ones I've seen. They're not all of them. I know that there are ones that are out there that that – Jim never touched, so it's okay. But I'm just saying that there's a lot out there that 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 didn't get done. There are there minor things. Yeah, I told you that there's a little bit um, in the finish on my three three five where the neck, um, right about here where my finger ends, um, where the the top of the, the uh, pick guard and then and over the neck. There's a there's a little bit of finish right there that it's white. How is it white? I don't know. Um, did somebody just? I don't Can know. I ask a question though? But How much that guitar cost? The guitar cost three grand. Now it's a yeah, but that's it's more a, like that's not acceptable on a three thousand dollar guitar. Well, and, and that's uh, this is where um, we are where we're sitting right now is that these these things that that we're talking about. They get through. I could have, as a as a person that works at Guitar Center, said, "Hey, Gibson rep, this needs to go back for for fix." I instead bought it. I accepted it. So was it worth it to me? Yep, it was because I didn't want to take a chance that oh sure. yeah we're gonna take that one back to the shop. They, they pulled the Grinch before Christmas, or the Grinch is still Christmas. We'll take this tree back to, and then we're gonna give you nothing. So. And then I'll have to wait six months to get one. And I wasn't going to keep working at Guitar Center for six more months. Uh, but uh, but also because I liked that one. And that's the one I wanted. And the fact that there's a little bit of white in there, it's so, it's so small. I mean, I literally have to go, okay, there it is, there it is. Um, but that said, um, the somebody should have caught it. I, I don't question that. Hey, this one's missing the entire cherry. Of the heritage cherry, I think that's worth. I think it's worth saying this though, Jim. I'm nitpicking, like yeah. obviously nitpicking, like oh, minor finish issue, right? And and in my opinion, on a three thousand dollar guitar, I'm not paying. I would I would have turned it back. But that said, I know that before when you had thirty two hundred dollar and thirty four hundred dollar Les Paul standards, were coming out with nuts that were improperly cut and binding issues and finish issues all in the same guitar, you got to go, 
who do they think is going to pay thirty four hundred dollars for a guitar that's basically a mess? Well, that and and let's let's be honest. Gibson's had problems with freaking um, uh, quality and and yeah, build all, all since the seventies. Not well, just Jeskowitz. Yeah, well, I mean Jeskowitz. Obviously, there was like a, a renaissance in the in the yeah. early nineties. Yeah, but so there was there was this. There was the 50s. That's okay. That's the golden age, right? Or platinum age, whatever we want to call it. That's the age of, oh, those are the best Gibsons ever made. Although we probably There's only probably know of a lot of dog shit Gibsons from that period, too. I was just watching a video on 59s and they were talking about the regular flaws that you will find that can help you identify a 59. That, I watched that really too. Hilarious. Yep. I watched like, it too. It's really it, it, hilarious because when you watch that stuff and it's like, here, this is how you can tell it's a real 59 because they because never this finished messed this part up. and like yeah. this part is always messed up. Like, and, what the hell? And the headstock you know, wasn't even um, – yeah, yeah or, I like, watched that same video. It hard, it's got lines on it you know, yep. because, of the, because it was on a conveyor belt. Like, yep. Yeah. Um, and, and they didn't polish those off and it's all kinds of things. And, and who's going to flip their pick guard off over and look at it? Who cares? Right, but I'm just saying right. that these were little flaws that actually that's how you identify that the thing is real. Yeah. Yeah, is because yeah. nobody, even the custom shop, misses most of those flaws, if not all of them. Well, that, that's points. what they were saying. Actually, the, the, the video, I, we may not watch the exact same video because I think in the video they were saying like the VOS gets most of the stuff right. The only, In fact, he said the only thing that most. I can tell apart from the VOS and the real deal is he's like when you look at the when you look at the ABR bridge, he's like the part where the uh, the pin goes in. For the for the uh, saddle, he said yep. that's slightly thinner on the thinner. real deal. Yep, yep. That the back of the ABR one bridge, he get, he took out a pair of calipers. He's like, yeah, that's yeah, the only way you can tell. This and, he said, and he said it's a, it's really a range. He's like, there could be thicker fifty nine versions. So right, you know, he goes, but uh, but fifty nines were between one point one and one point this millimeters, and these were between this and this, and he's like. Wow, that is really nitpicking. But that's what you got to do when you're telling somebody yes. If you're if you're putting your reputation on the line and you're saying, yeah, you could pay two hundred thousand dollars for this guitar, I'm pretty sure that you want to be right. Yeah, because I sent Jim, I sent Jim a, a, a fifty nine before it was a fifty nine or a sixty before this show, and it was yeah, like two hundred and seventy thousand dollars or something. Yeah, um, and it was it was on sale though. It's one hundred and seventy five thousand. <laughs> yeah, and they still wanted to charge shipping too. Did you see that? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, like for real? Uh, no, I, I will mean, fly there and get it for one hundred seventy-five thousand yeah. dollars. You just hang on to it. I'll be yeah, right there. I will. I will show up at the place and I will take a boat back. Yeah, you know? I will drive <laughs> there. I, I'm getting there, and it is going to get its own seat on a flight. And we're going to yeah. make sure we're not on the lost um, uh, thing. So anyway, so what I'm getting at is that that's exactly what I was getting at. Um, with the exception of the entire finish missing from this guitar, which is still what makes it special and what makes it awesome. Um, you don't have the big flaws and issues that we had. Are they working through issues? Yes, they are. Were there obviously employees that were letting shit get through that never should have got through? For fuck's sake, yes. There. That never should have happened. The employees, I don't care if it was the Jeskowitz era, there never should have been employees that were allowing fret ends to cut your fingers or um, finish issues or where the where the binding wasn't right. Come I on. Think, I think the managers over there were during that time period. All right. So let me set it up. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it the right way. So they had their renaissance, right? They're selling really well in the early nineties. Up to up through really the early two thousands, they're doing excellent. Um, 
around 2002, 2003, the market starts to drop off in, in the, in the new sales for them. And that's when they start squeezing. And just like whenever, and, and they've been squeezed before. That's what happened in the seventies. Yeah. Anytime, um, a company's investors or, or the, the management changes and they come in and they've got a good thing. Like the first thing they do is like, oh, how can we make it? How can we make more money off of it? And they start squeezing. And that's what happened is, you know, Fender and CBS, CBS rode that way for a little bit. And then they were like, all right, now we can make shit cheaper. And they just squeezed. Right. That's right. And so do you, we saw that squeeze coming out, coming out of Gibson. The quality control was one of the parts of that squeeze. The, the switch to using shitty wood, was another was another part of that squeeze, and they and they would say, "Oh well, weight relieved, weight relieved." That was because it was waterlogged, and they were and they were literally routing that stuff out so they could bake the bodies, so they would actually be decent. Um, they were doing whatever they could to get by with crap wood, in order to make the guitars they were making instead of instead of just saying, "You know what, we got to do a price increase," or or accepting that a thirty percent margin was fine. Gibson's aren't a 30% margin, Jim. You know that. You've worked at a retailer. Like, they make good money off those guitars, which is what's just nuts to me is, like, when the, when the Les Paul Standard was pushing $3,400, and I'm going, guys, your tops don't even look good. Like, what the hell are you doing that you're charging $3,400 for this guitar? That was around 2014, 2015. And then it wasn't 2016, I think, is when they had the bad year where they they did all the robot tuners and all that crap. That's like when they went they went full crazy. Um, 2015. Yeah, the 2015s. And the 2015s is when they like they finally admitted that we're not really we really don't even care about cutting the nuts. Um, And we've gotten beat up so bad for it that we came up with this like brass nut thing, adjustable brass nut. Nobody wanted that. Just cut the fucking nuts right. Like, what is the goddamn problem? So, um, and, yeah. and so now, and so now we're, we're back to an era where we, we're coming in, right? I think we're going to see a renaissance. I think we've already started to see the renaissance happen. Um, I just don't know what that renaissance means. And I think what's going to happen is it's going to slowly like get to a point where maybe JC Curley leaves and then somebody comes in and squeezes again. And that's what I'm concerned about. Okay, so yeah, I, I got I got you there. Let me so let me let me come back with it. So um and say where I of course neither one of us was working for Gibson, so we're kind of No, 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 sure. Them. And and actually on that note, but, um, since we're talking about working for Gibson, Glassdoor has gotten better, but it's still not great. We we talked about Glassdoor Gibson, you know, on the Glassdoor review site, employees reviewing your employer. Um it's gotten better. But it's still not good. There's a lot of people bitching about their management. Like, are you serious? These people are still here when, um, because it, it, a lot of the middle management's still there. So yeah, and it's a, it, it's a tough it's a tough thing for people to do, um, for companies to do is to get rid of of management. But let's um, not that this shouldn't. It's a long time, but it does take a while. Let's so let's let's back up. Um, and let's talk a little bit about just that, just that. So. Um, I got to agree with you on a lot of points, almost every single one of them. So in the 70s, they said, how are we going to get away with, with the woods? We can't get the woods. We're fighting with um, other manufacturers. We're fighting with them. Um, at that time, I don't know if you remember um, people when you, were, when you were younger, a lot of really fancy desks were coming out for, you know, for uh, you know. Plus, uh, the, you had the, the oil prices and all that stuff at that time. Oil you couldn't import. 
Right. You know, mahogany, so, we don't get Honduran mahogany, mahogany here in the States. Not so every day, yeah. <laughs> That's right. And so what was happening was not only was the, the, were the sources drying up, but it was like, okay, how do we do this? And they started making the pancake bodies. Um, they started making the, you know, the, the using garbage wood. Um, again, like you said, in the 2000s, they were using wood that, hey, you know what? We can't make this. It's waterlogged. It's, it's, it's shitty wood. Let's face it. It was fucking garbage. And, okay, well, if we, if we route it out. Yeah. Hey, yeah. wait a minute. What did Billy Gibbons do? That's right. He shaved his down. He routed it out. Let's make yeah. it like it was a good thing. And let's route the yeah, shit out of it. it. They did a, they did a, like a, um, I don't want to say flip the script, but they, they rebranded it, you know, what is essentially like, here, this is how we can take wood that we shouldn't be using and make it wood we should use. Right. And, um, and so we'll, we'll pull, we'll pull whole parts of it. Now it doesn't matter what the wood looked like because you can veneer now the back because literally yeah. the back was a glued on piece just like the top is glued veneer on. Veneer the damn sides and if they, you want to. That's right. So they were able to veneer the, the guitar. Um, make it look like one piece when it was actually a bunch of pieces. You had no idea how many pieces. It and I'm of, sure some of those guitars were cheese. great. I'm oh, sure yeah. some of those guitars were great. You know, actually, um, the weight relief thing, I'm fine with that. Like, weight relief doesn't bother me in the bit, in the least bit. But, no, but it was reasoning. pretty well known. Um, a lot of people were talking about the fact that Gibson was doing it to cut costs. Right. And reasoning. That was, that was really that's, that's what I'm saying. The reasoning is what's, what's there. So when you take it now, now here's the thing. So if you ever watched a Gibson, I, I've said this before, I watched those uh, things where they show how they build the guitar. If you ever watched how the uh, Gibson puts together a Les Paul, one of the most important things is the binding, right? And one of the complaints during that weight relief time and during all that time, what was it? The binding. The binding was pulling away. The binding wasn't holding on right. Yeah. The binding was doing this. Well, Gibson does a very specific way of putting binding on. They've been doing it the same way for like 60, 70 years. And it, yeah. it requires taking uh, rope, okay? You take the binding and there's glue and you it's really sloppy. You just, you just yeah, glue the you shit just on there. Paste it on there and then you scrape it off and sand yeah. it down. Yeah, with the, and then they, they wrap the binding mm -hmm. when it's still gluing. They wrap it in a certain way. And the reason for that is so that it puts pressure points in certain places. Well, if you think about it for a minute... If you've got a piece of wood that's not the same as the piece of wood, the two, the, the pieces of, I should say pieces of wood you had before, we had a top, you had a thing, you put them together, you glued them. That's not hide glue. Hasn't been since the fifties. Sorry to yes. tell everybody. That was another thing we learned in that fifties video. Well, that was the never hide never glue. Hide, the tops were never hide glue. Never <laughs> hide glue. It would have never fit. It, it, it would have taken like two years to freaking dry. So yeah, I, like, I exaggerate. It's a little hyperbole, but it would have taken way have. too long, way yeah. too long to draw. Yeah, nobody really knows because it was now it was never done. They used well, a, um, like a Bakelite. It's a. It's I'm, a I'm willing to bet that people have done it now and can uh, tell you how long that takes to dry. <laughs> Back yeah. then, they were not willing to test that theory. No. So anyway, they 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 put the back and they put the glue the glued top on and then they put the they they just glue the crap of it. There's so much. Excess yeah. glue on purpose, by the way, which yeah, is a, all the cost is and all that extra glue. And then they're just slopping glue all over the place. And then they're just wrapping the crap out of this thing. And then it hangs and it hangs for days. Okay. Yeah. And then they, by the time they get all the way done with all the guitars, they got to do the next one comes around. That's the dry one that the, the person's taking yeah. off. And then they can reuse the rope and, and, and they don't even, they don't, you know, they're, they're slapping the glue all over the place. My point is, if you had that thing and it's a pressure point, 
And now you've had um, you you take this thing and you've made it a saucer full of secrets, so to speak, to use a Pink Floyd term. You filled it up with air and stuff. The pressure is going to be different. I, I'm I, and I'm just guessing. So when I'm wrapping that thing up, is it really going to hold it the way it held it to two pieces of of a solid piece of mahogany, a solid piece of of maple together? I don't think so. I don't know. Even I could be the wrong. moisture content right. in the wood would it's make an change. impact on whether that binding is going to hold. Right, whether it's going to and, and it's going to change because I just saw in a Gibson forum. I'll, I'll share this in a minute, but it's going to change the way that binding holds on. Now that binding is one piece on the top, all the way around, and on the neck. I don't even. That's amazing to me. Um, and and so if you take well, it's two side two pieces on the neck, but I'm just saying that so um I saw in the old ones, in the ones when they weren't that good, I saw the where the binding would split over time. It was break. And you gotta wonder if you take a piece of if take a piece of wet wood, don't even worry about whether it's guitar or not. Take a piece of wet wood. Now dry it and then wet it. And then dry it. In other words, humidity and dry and humidity and dry. What does that wet wood do? It expands, expands and contracts. And contracts every it expands time. and contracts. And so it's very important. That's why that's why a lot of people wonder, well, how come the you know cheap wood and the cheap guitars and the wood doesn't matter and blah 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 blah. It does when you don't want it to expand and contract, you want all that moisture out of it. So it's not doing all that. It's still going to do a little, but it's not going to do it to the, to the point. I just got a friend of mine. He bought a, um, a Mustang. He bought a, a Fender Mustang uh, bass, but it's a Squire. And he goes, he calls me up. He goes, Jim, um, I don't know why, but now the frets are cutting my finger. I go, dude, that's fret, fret sprout. That happens. It's the wood in the fretboard as constricted. Are you, I said, have you got it in a dry, dry room? He goes, yeah. I, and I said, Take it in the shower or in the bathroom, run the shower and let yeah. it, leave it in there. And when you're taking showers, just leave it in there. Let it get wet. It'll re it'll come back out. That doesn't mean that it's yeah, going to stay mean, like that, but that, I don't that, know that I would recommend people do that. That's hard on your hardware, but, but if you just humidify, humidify, that's what he said he's going to do. I said, just make sure you keep it in the humid room just, and not over humid 50 to 40 to 60%, 50% is your, is your nominal, but anywhere in those, in those categories. So anyway, for my hygrometer. Yeah, yeah, mine mine is over here somewhere. But um, yeah, you want to keep it. And I've got you can see it right there. There's a um, whoop, that little blue thing with the white cap. That is a that runs twenty four by seven in here. The only time I turn it off, matter of fact, if I stop talking, you might be able to hear it hum. See how? No, I can hear it. Yeah, I can hear it yeah. for sure. That's my dehumidifier because I live in a hobbit hole, so yeah. I actually have to run this. Thing. Yep. Which is, yeah, if I lived in New York where I lived um, down below ground level, I actually had to run a dehumidifier even in the winter. But anyway, so my point is, um, if you do that, those Gibsons would, the, the, the binding would split because now the wood in the, you're glued, you're glued to the maple and you're glued underneath to the, um, to the mahogany. They're not going to move the same. The maple right. may not expand or contract the same as the mahogany does. So guess what that causes? That causes cracks. That causes that causes problems. And I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Now, um, so let's so let's fast forward it now. So what I hope and I don't know because because again some of those things None of us are, know. huh? None of us know what's going to happen for the future. Right. That's you're going right, right. So. The nut cuts are better. Are they perfect? No, absolutely not. 
better. But have I heard people doing this to their sirs? Have I heard them talk, doing it to Tom Andersons? Yes, I've heard people going, oh, yeah, I've got not fucking problems. I've got not problems with the Strat, so don't tell me it's just a G-string on my well, – you know, you know yet- That's not what I was talking about in terms of not, the no, not I, I being properly cut. I'm talking about I'm, the height. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm getting to that. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, cause I, I, I want to address the, cause everybody goes to the tuning issue. Um, I had to laugh because Tom Bukovec's latest video, uh, in homeschooling, he goes, you know what? He goes, if you cut the nut, right, that guitar is going to stay in tune. You got to cut yeah. it. He goes, it goes, it's all yeah. about or not. And um, everybody argues what the right way to cut it is. And I, and it's like, I don't think, I think it's all kind of mythological. I think if you use nut lube, you'll be fine. Yeah. That's what um, I use. But, I use nut lube. But, um, but anyway, so yeah, the, the nut heights weren't, weren't consistent, much less cut correctly. And worse yet, some of the nuts weren't in the slots properly. You'd see, you'd right. see where the nut ended too soon or the nut went over the wood. I mean, come the, on. You had the, the, like the guitar fretting out at the 22nd fret. Because the um, the the nut was like too far, too, like the string spacing wasn't right. Basically, yeah. It's like, what the hell are you doing? Are yeah, you the, drunk when you cut the E string was off the freaking guitar by the time it got to the twenty second fret. Exactly, I don't know what you're talking about. So, so we were we're we're talking about the same things, and hopefully, and and I haven't seen those with these. Not to say that it doesn't exist, not to say that it hasn't happened, and not to say that people aren't human. Um, again, my guitar missed a whole, I keep pointing to that, but I want to, I want to stress that my guitar missed a whole process, the <laughs> whole thing. It didn't get, and, and here's what the logic of the mat, the manager, I, if I'm a manager on that line, I've got QA and QC, right? And I've also got what they call, um, they call it slippage or whatever. It's lost due to the fact that you, um, you made a mistake somewhere along the line. I don't know if you guys remember. So there was a there was a thing in the eighties. Um, there was a movie with Michael Keaton that kind of brought this to light, where Michael yeah. Keaton went to Gung-ho. to Japan to learn how to what was it called? Gung Ho. Gung Ho. That's right. It was a great movie. It, if yes, you don't, it if you haven't watched it, you should watch it. And it's about the Japanese and the Americans and how we, as Americans overall, lost our way. Okay, it wasn't just that. Listen, this was automotive industry that they were talking about. We just didn't care. And if you've ever wa- worked in a union shop, and I have, s- some of them still don't care. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, let's, let's look at this um, in, in a bigger, broader picture. If I'm, a, if I'm a manager and I've got stuff going through and I've got my check sheet, right? And, and um, manager A um, sees the QA person in it, and this guitar didn't get... Um, We'll use mine as an example. Let's, that's the biggest screw up. It's still yellow. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, did somebody not notice that it's still yellow? And and so um, this guy goes off and checks, 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 or gal goes off, checks, checks, checks. And then it comes through and they, they look at it and they go, huh, that that's the wrong color. But there's, but it's already got a gloss on it. So what would we have to do? One of two things. You're going to take that body and throw it in the garbage. Right. Bandsaw it. Put in a bandsaw or push it through. Now, this is on the edge of that of that transition. I, co- I come right back to what you were talking about with those managers. Yeah, I'm not really sure they wanted to let that one through. It somehow got out the door. 
Um, yeah, it's like I, the one anomaly. There might be two guitars a year that end up like that. Yeah. Where it's like, that should not have been in the wild, but it got there somehow. Yeah. He said, he said it was in the hundreds of thousands of the guitars that would, that would miss that. And, and, and not that it's never missed it. So did somebody do it on purpose? They meant to put it aside for themselves. Who knows? Who cares? The, the point is it never should have got through and it really never should have got in the wild. So it gets by that manager. Now the next manager sees it. Okay. The person that, that puts a neck on it. Right. I think, I, I don't I know if they, I think it's I finished. Think before, yeah. Control. It's finished before the neck. I don't think they, I don't think they do any quality control until the end of that, the end of this whole thing. I don't think right. they're actually doing checks along the way. Not I, like Harry Smith does, but like if there's a neck and a body that have a problem, they just bandsaw them right in the middle. Yeah, see, and um, and now, so you get it to the last part. It, you look on the inside of my cavity. It, it happened before it got to the final. So there's a final group of people. Now it's now it's a fit and finished guitar. Right. It's got frets. It's got stuff. It doesn't right. have machine heads. It doesn't have pickups. It doesn't have a um, you know, the switch. Doesn't have all that stuff. There's a person that's got to throw the electronics in it and throw all the the hardware on it. So there, that's an, a line. If you look at Gibson's thing, that's a whole mm-hmm. line of people. Goes from from the people that do the one end of it. I can't remember which one happens first, which chicken or egg happens first, to the end person. Somebody along the way did notice when they put the pickup in, because I've shown this in the. Did I show this in the group? There's a there's a big um, scratch out. Literally, they scratched out where it says. Um, where it says uh, um, HSC for Heritage yeah. or HCS, Heritage Cherry yeah. Sunburst. They scratch that out. It's just sun. It isn't even burst. So somebody noticed and said, oh, shit, that's not an HSC. And they just took a red Sharpie. It's literally somebody just went like this. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it was probably out. supposed to go on the defective rack and they probably just forgot to put it over there and there it goes well, you know? i'm not sure now see this is where maybe they took that power away because there's one person there's a woman um at least that, when i watched the video um and that's when mine went through there's a woman in charge of that whole line and uh until the very last person now here's somebody that that allowed it to go through they maybe that person didn't have now this is what happened in the 80s this is where i got to that gung-ho thing in the 80s they came up with this this idea that anyone along the way would have a stop button. They could stop it. Say, all right, hold on. Something has to be fixed here. Something went wrong. They definitely have put more quality checks in place over there. And, you know, your guitar may have been assembled right when, before all that stuff was starting to. That's possible. And like, or it could be part of the upheaval. Like that was implemented and people were still asking questions and things were flowing right. And, and and maybe now see, remember when people go through change at work, it's hard to adapt to change. Right. I mean, that's, that's one of the hardest things you can do, especially when your job is rote. What I do is I put in pickups. What I do is I wire stuff. What I do is I put the tone pro bridge on. I don't do, I don't care about pickups. That's not my job. I don't put finish on a guitar. I don't care. We'll let somebody else at the end decide. So what it got all the way through. Um, it, the end checker should have said, that's not Harris Cherry. What? They took a picture of it. It's on a desk just like this one. <laughs> you know, with an overhead camera. And the, and the picture got shot. 
It's definitely not Harris Cherry. It's yellow. And yeah. so it's the sun part of the sunburst. So not to belabor it, but at some point, no one said, even the one that's standing behind to say, check, check, check. So as you said, it might have been before people went, ah, you know what? We were told by prior upper management, we can't throw these bodies out. We just got to let them go through and we'll let the... We'll let the um, Guitar Center yeah. or Sweetwater or whoever ship them back to us. And if it gets through and nobody says anything, we eked it out. Whatever. We didn't know about it. <laughs> whoops. You know, and that, that was probably the case before was whoops. So now I think they're taking a harder look um, at those things. Um, so so all, all the quality, all the quality control side, like I don't think uh, my biggest – my biggest gripe with with Gibson now is not the quality control issues, right? Like that was my gripe with Gibson before. Now it's lack of choice, which is weird. And then also, um, so when you buy a twenty twenty four hundred dollar guitar, less less ball standard thing is twenty four ninety nine right now. Yep. Um, I expect the top to at least be figured, and like I've seen some shit tops, like, and I'm just sitting there going. How do they think that's appropriate? It's like this is throwback reject wood. Use this on the cheapy guitars. Like don't use this. Use this on the studios and paint it a flat color. Like I just don't. I don't understand. And people are like, use well, you know, tops. they make a they make a lot of guitars and it's hard for them to get quality wood. I'm like, but then don't make as many. Like what is the problem? I don't understand why you would want to want to want to mar your you know your reputation like that. Because and and I've believe me. Gibson ain't the only one guilty of this. Go look at some PRSs, some cores. I have seen some ugly freaking cores, and that's a $3,500 guitar. So it, it goes both ways. But then you've got companies like Heritage, and and um, I'm trying to think of some other, because I know there's some other small builders I've looked at that, like a Heritage is basically same price as a Les Paul. I think it's like $100 difference one way or the other. Yeah, and I've never seen a bad tub top on a heritage. But um, if I, yeah, and you could also just like the people say, you could argue, well, they've only, they're only making right, let's say five hundred five hundred guitars, you know, five hundred a thousand guitars a year. Yeah. Um, in their in their Les Paul, and so it's easier them. to for them to source that much chop quality wood, right? So which, yep, it just it, leads it, me down this circular path of like, okay, so if you can't get good wood for bursts, then Offer some other colors, yep. like make some make some gold tops or well, you know something else is desirable. And yeah, they do they, do the gold top. Nineties only. No, there's um, there's both. There's a gold, they top, have, they have a gold top, gold top fifties and gold top P nineties. And matter of fact, okay. the P ninety one that's the only top you can get if you want to talk yeah. about lack of lack of. Um, right, and I, I'm not I'm not asking them to make like because they used to make like every color under the oh, rainbow, God. but like do something other than yellow and red. <laughs> yeah, I like seriously. Yeah, I know I gave PRS I, I gave I threw shade at PRS last week because honestly, oh look, there's a lunar cry or whatever freaking uh version of the That was only done because the last one they did that was like that just like exploded. And yeah, so did this to, one. They're trying to prop up the sales of the Silver Sky, basically. It sold fifteen. It sold all thousand of them in fifteen minutes. And of course, guess who's got both of them is uh freaking Trogley. Look at yeah, me, I've got both of them. Um, I, I'm sorry. I, 
I'm probably, I'm sure Trogley's the nicest guy in the world, but God dang it, his voice is so annoying. He he (laughs) pronounces everything so perfectly that it just pisses me off. I just want to, I just want to go Trogley. No, it's okay. You realize when he's doing this show, like he's opening all the guitars and not saying a word. He doesn't actually start, he does, he overdubs that later. He's not recording his voice when he's, because it's too perfect. Yeah. Like he's not, he's recording his voice after the fact. Yeah. So and it's he, perfect. Yeah. But the way he says things and then, you know, he, he has such weird ways of, he's like a grandma. He's, he's got, he's got to be in his thirties, maybe early forties. And yeah, he's oh, like no. a grandma. Yeah. I think he's probably pushing forties, but yeah, um, but he's like, he's about your age and yet he's sitting there going, uh, um, uh, like, oh, they've got this, this flighty thingy. <laughs> Who says these kinds of things, Drogley? Come on. My mother doesn't even talk like that. Well, I mean, like, I have nothing negative to say about the guy. As far as annoying voices go, I'm probably the most annoying person that anybody's ever listened to if they're listening to this show. But um, I I don't have any any negative things to say about the guy. Like, I totally understand he's a flipping dealership is basically what he is. Oh, yeah, yeah. He buys rare, weird stuff. Yeah, and then sends it out the door, and a lot of times he's buying things that he knows they're going to sell like right off the oh, bat. So those for him will to sell. get the, the, the new th- that totally makes sense. Yeah, um, I just wish he was a better player because when Perfect. he actually does demo oh, something, god. I'm like, dude, god, <laughs> don't hire somebody else to do it for you. Like he did the he did the Chrissy Hind, and then he did the um da 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 da. And 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 I wanted to say, dude, listen, you're not listening back. You really need to. He put something the other day it. though that I, I was like, I was like really impressed. I was like, damn. <laughs> I yeah, what it was, but I was, like, I was like, damn. <laughs> like okay. <laughs> he's getting better. But, um, you could tell he's working at it. Yeah, I, I just like I don't back to the original thing because we're talking about what? Mesa Boogie and, and Gibson. What? Well, wait, I don't. Wait. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Let me finish the. Let me finish the point. So. We as a there, I don't know if there would have been a good time for this announcement to happen. Okay, but I, no. I, I know, yeah, I know this. I, yeah, I know this. I was watching. I watch people. Okay, just like with Trogley, I listen to his voice and I'm trying to figure out what he's really saying. Um, and maybe I read too much into things. But as I was watching Randall Smith talk. And I was watching his face, his neck. Oh, he his, seems genuine. Uh, no, no, no. He's genuine. I think he's had a stroke. Um, and if not, he's had close. Because um, if you watch closely, his facial, his, uh, he's not um, symmetrical in his movement or his... Uh, his, yeah, I mean, his, I didn't, I didn't notice that. At I all. was watching very closely, and with that, um, I thought, I wonder if he's, I wonder if he's sick, um, and uh, there, yeah, and um, I'm not certainly not hoping that. I'm just th- there were some things that indicated to me that he might not be doing well. Um, I also noticed that Cesar uh, from Gibson is a little less comfortable behind the camera than. Uh, JC and that's probably why they had JC do a lot of talk or a lot of the talking because Cesar was a little bit you know less. What? I honestly don't even care if we see Cesar's face in anything. Like as well, far as I'm concerned, I think it was a... and JC should be the front. 
you know, I think it was important in this one because of what they were talking about. Cesar is uh, sure he had to develop the relationship between the two of them, and right. Um, and, and he was very, I could tell that both he and JC, JC, you know, of course that's his job is to come off, um, uh, as being sincere, but he seems sincere. And so did, so did, uh, um, Cesar, the, um, the thing that, that I, I see hope in, and I hope people see the same hope I do is that Randall Smith was right there. Nobody had a gun to his head. He was sitting in his house. And, yeah, and, and he, nobody he's the same guy that you would like if you go to Gearfest and you sit through one of the seminars. It seems like the same dude. He's right. not like reading off a script. There was right. it was very conversational. Yep. Um and you could tell there was a little bit of humor there about the fact that like they knew that the world had reacted the way they did. It was kind of right. like what yeah. the hell is you guys' problem? <laughs> yeah. Just buck it up. And he and if if he was reading a script, then when he said Things aren't changing at Mesa. Boogie is not changing. We're just working. And which which is could be true. I mean, he might have life lease and then when he's gone, you know, well, it might be a very Leo Fender-esque type thing. I wouldn't be surprised if half the company goes back to the employees and the other half goes to, to Gibson, Gibson so that they have that consensus. Yeah. But but, but here's the – and that, um, that way they only got to pay off one or two employees to keep them uh, – but anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's how I mean, it works. Basically, that's how it works, people. Yeah, um, unfortunately. So, the um, what was I saying? Oh, but what they did say, because this was some of the stuff, and they hinted was very hinting, was they'll be able to reach more uh, places. In other words, they're going to be able to put mesas back in other distributions. I don't think that's as big an issue as you're making it out to be. I think that's a selling point for them to like encourage people. But I think the, I think the bigger issue there is we will have the capacity to serve bigger places and take those risks because right. right now they don't. Right. Right. And offline, have, they are going to have an influx of cash. That's going to happen. Like that's a, that's a part of this, you know? Yeah. Um, so I can tell you because I'm no longer an employee. Some of the stuff I knew about Mesa that happened. Um, and you know, there's, there's two sides to every story, but I heard this from more than one source. What happened with Guitar Center and Mesa was there was a, there was a big problem with, with customer service. That was one of them, but because Mesa did have problems keeping up and I can understand when you've only got so many customer service people over there, you can, you're only going to be able to serve so many customers, so to speak. That's, that's what customer service is, right? And the other part of it was Mesa came out and said, um, we've got these pedals. We want you to carry X number of all of our pedals in every single one of your stores. And Guitar Center said, we want to we want to test them in different markets. We want to do some test marketing because we want to, oh, no, we already know where they're going to sell. We already know they're going to sell. You're going to put them in every single store. This is so hilarious because I've seen the and, letters. I've seen the letters that have circulated from basically Mesa Boogie and, and between Guitar Center well, where they were bitching because they were like, what, you guys aren't paying us on time. So I, well, I, I highly well, I doubt can, yeah, well, that's what we're driving this conversation. Like I said, there's two, there's two sides of it. And I know you're a, you're a Mesa Boogie guy, and I, I'm not going to change your mind on it. I'm no, just no, telling honestly, you. No, no, this isn't about you changing my mind. This is about this the came, proof that showed up. 
and was like handed to me versus a company telling you something and you buying into it. This came from a lot of sources. How uh, many of those people were there 10 years ago, 12 years ago when that happened? All of them. Every one of the sources. You're telling me every one of your Guitar Center employees that you work with was there 12 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, they were there for longer than that. They've been there since um, uh, the 90s. Well, I mean, I know but, I know of at least one shill who would who would say something like that. Yeah, but so, I didn't go. I, I don't know about any uh, <laughs> shills. But anyway, yeah, well, I don't you know, know any you know shills. At least one, you know at least one, and I'll tell you about it after the show. But yeah, I don't know any shills. But I, I do I'm know. I'm not buying that at all. Um, I'm not buying that at all. And again, this came from several people. But the fact is, regardless, regardless, there was um, there was a lot of uh, uh, of uh, stuff that went on. Um, but um, bigger than that, um, you know, hopefully, and I think that they're looking more at their overseas markets when it comes to having the ability to get where Gibson, um, you know, can bring them um, because uh, there are overseas markets that want to be able to bring in um, Mesa. And so that's a, that's a big one to show. So. Um, interesting. So worth noting, I don't know what the timeline there was, but those pedals didn't come out until 2013. So, and I'm pretty sure they lost that before 2013. Uh, I believe it was like 2010 or 2011, but anyway, nevertheless, um, I just, listen, I, I just, I have a hard time, um, with any company. And it doesn't matter whether it's Randall Smith or whoever the hell is at the front of it, Leo Fender, God willing, you know, none of these people have, have can say that they have had a situation on their record. That's like, not where we don't really want to tell people what's really going on here because it's an ugly situation. And that's where I'm worried in, in this kind of case where it's like, everything looks good on the surface, but 10 years down the road, it might be in hindsight might be a bad decision. You know what I mean? And that may be like, a, maybe Mesa Boogie's looking back at what they did with Guitar Center and going, that's a bad decision. Um, that's very possible. But it's funny because it's like, well, then we're going to go back by getting in bed with Gibson and like 10 years from now, you might be looking at that as a bad decision. It, you know, it's, it's just one of those weird, like, sounds, seems, seems strange to, to back off on that. Now we, um, we can speculate and sort blue in the face about what's going on in the business side of all that stuff, but it is what it is, I guess. Does Randall um, Smith have a family? Does he have a wife and children? I believe he's married. Um, I don't, I think he has kids. Okay. Um, but like they portray him as very much like Mesa Boogie is his wife. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily accurate. I mean, he's a dude, like you meet him, he's a normal guy. People put him on this pedestal. Like he's some, you know, like he's a Leo Fender type and he's just a normal guy. Um, and Leo Fender was a normal dude too. Like when he was going around, he'd go to trade shows and he'd stand on guitar necks. I mean, there's pictures of him doing oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. um, it's people put the, I mean, we've met enough. Or I don't Well, actually, I mean, you've met some guys too. Now we've met enough of these guys to know that they're just normal people. I don't understand why people think they're like special or something. Now I will say this. When you guys watch uh, somebody like J.C. Curley, there's something else going on there with that guy. And and it's just because he's a business-oriented person, right? Like, he doesn't come at it with the same 
um, panache that somebody that's like an engineer that happens to run a company comes out something like where they're very invested in the product. For me, like Curly is very invested in the marketing. I don't know that he's necessarily all that invested with the product. And actually, I kind of look at I kind of look at the way that he carries himself in this conversation. He looks great. He's slick. You know, he has he he's a great orator and all this. And that makes me run. I'm like, what the hell? This is his guy does not belong in our business because I I look at people like Josh Scott, who's no in no way perfect, you know, at marketing, but his marketing is genuine. You know what I mean? Like you 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 know when you see that that room he's got over at JHS like filled with every freaking pedal under the sun. Like that's who that guy is. Cause that's not, you don't, you don't have your company do that when you, you know, when you're a boutique pedal company. Now, granted JHS is probably one of the largest boutique pedal companies in the world. Um, but they are, they are a boutique pedal company. I mean, everybody else that's in their same league is 10 years older than them. Um, yeah. But Josh Scott isn't looking for investors. And Josh Scott no. is trying to maintain investors. And that's a big difference. No, And that's what I'm pointing out though, is that, so JC Curley didn't come from the gear side of anything. He was, he worked for freaking Levi's. Yeah, like whether he plays guitar or not, it's irrelevant. My point is I don't look at him with the same respect as I do somebody who like, I know came from this side of the industry because at least like, it, and I, and that's not always true either. Cause we, we're going to talk about UAD, but, um, UAD, like that's a company. Like, there's another holy shit. What kind of snake oil are they selling? Um, and it's just because they come at it from a different a different place that I don't relate to. I and I think that there's probably a lot of people in our in in that listen to our podcast that may not necessarily relate to. Yeah, I I um, wonder. We we talked about this a few weeks ago when we first started talking about this. You got to wonder what's going to happen with JHS and Wampler and uh, Keeley and um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean. Geez, even even um, uh, electroharmonics, um, because are they going to be sucked up by Boss? Are they going to get sucked up by somebody like that? I mean, um, yeah, at I some mean, point, uh, you know, Josh is going to want to go lay on the beach and enjoy himself, and he's not going to want to yeah. do that anymore. And is he well, I mean, Randall's already to... said he's in a state of semi-retirement for for Mesa. I mean, like that's that's a classic element there. Um, yeah. So, but anyway. So, yeah, and I and again, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to say you're wrong or I'm right when it comes to any of this stuff. That's that's for sure. There's always the there's always the truth somewhere somewhere that that you know doesn't. We'll know really in 20 matter. years exactly when, or when, when people have retired and they're willing to spill the beans. What actually it, happened? Yeah, or when Randall Smith is 87 and he's able to freaking speak and he's able to go. You know what? I'm on my deathbed. I don't care. Here's what happened. Um, you know, so it. Or somebody does his biography, you know, which can would I, be an I interesting a, story. I'd love to, I'd love to, seriously, I'd love to start writing those books. Can, where, can I add an anecdote? Yeah. So everybody thought they knew what happened when um, Ernie Ball and, and. Um, oh yeah, Fender. No, Well, no, when Ernie Ball and, um, not Leo Fender, but uh, Eddie Van Halen parted ways. Oh, and like everybody was like, oh well, it was just because they couldn't see eye to eye, and they were wanting to change the guitar that that uh, EVH wanted. And it's like, well, that's part of the story, but apparently Eddie Van Halen and his wife had some some thing going on, and like that was a big component of it that's been that's been talked about behind the scenes for years. Who knows if it's true? It would certainly explain why he parted ways with a company like Music. Wait a minute. Eddie Still Van Halen and his wife had something. It, did somebody... no, 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 no. Eddie Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen, and 
Sterling Ball's wife. Oh, Sterling Ball's situation wife. going on, Ooh. or she was like obsessed with him or something, and like they had a falling out, and it was really ugly, and it was behind the scenes, and it, I don't know that it has ever been made like blatantly public, but there's been people that have talked about it over the years that like yeah. there was something going on there. It's rock and, and roll, man. That shit has happened. Think about Keith Moon, or I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I got to imagine and, he was already ma- married to Valerie Bertinelli at that time. Yeah, you know. he was he was married to Valerie Burton Ernie. Um, but uh, that's that's a South or not a South Park, but a, but a Family Guy reference. My point is, that's just a, that's like we don't know. I mean, there yeah. could be other things at play here that are just like completely out of left field. Oh yeah, there's they never get told to us because whatever it. it yeah, we we might find out that that uh, poor Randall Smith bought a bunch of uh, shorted some stock in Gibson and now he's screwed. Um, yeah. uh, think about the the current uh, GameStop oh thing, gosh. right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean <laughs> Robin Hood. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, we 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 just don't know. I I would love to do interviews with some of these folks and write write stories about them and and what they do because Josh Scott his story has to be incredibly cool. But anyway, let, let's let's. We don't know what's going on with Boogie. From we what we can tell, AD? yeah, because from what we can tell, it it probably won't change, at least for a few years. And to be honest with you, if you don't have a Boogie, go get one if you really want one. If you don't, don't worry about it. Just it let things Just, go as they go. There's yeah. thousands of them out there. You'll get I'm not, one. I'm not running out to get not another rare. one right now. Like, I'm yeah, you are. You already out. got one. Like, well, you already got it on order. order. <laughs> yeah, I was on order before it happened. Exactly. Um, you I'm already got Gibson it. Apparently. That's right. Uh, You'll get your Gibson yeah. as soon as it comes in. Yeah. Um, but okay, let's talk about UAD because that is a that is an interesting one. A UAD. Right. So uh, you want to introduce this one? You want to introduce yeah, this uh, story? Yeah, and I'll give my my negative opinion to this, and then you go can for take it. it. And then I'll give my negative opinion. I don't think so. I'll try to think. I'll try to come up with a positive spin. UAD is known for their walled garden appliances, and they have um, they have their their audio interfaces um, that basically have a walled garden of plugins that can be very expensive. They can go anywhere from um, fifty bucks on sale. Actually, I've seen below. I think twenty bucks on Black Friday sales sometimes to like six hundred dollars um, for a plugin for their interface. Now their interface has its own processor which may or may not be patented. I'm not really sure on that. But the idea is that the processor takes the load off your PC. And the real reason that these are popular, and, I, and I've and i heard people say this to me before, uh, I don't know if this is necessarily like the, the whole reason, but a lot of people buy UAD products because they can have a five-year-old Mac that can't even run the current software and use the processor built into the UAD to do all of their plug-in work, right? And like that makes a lot of sense to me as a, as a recording engineer type. But... Um, it's not the reason you should buy a product, right? You should buy it because it's good and not because it has something. Well, I mean, I guess that works out in this, in this line of work, but anyway, it gets you to walled garden, right? And you know, how I feel about walled gardens. I don't like them, nope. but anyway, um, enter these pedals, right? So UAD has been historically like on that side of the business. Now they did come out with the ox a couple of years back and the ox box has been extremely popular with players. I am not a fan of the Oxbox. I think the the cab modeling in it is not great. It's okay. It's not great. It's like Helix quality, maybe a little bit better. Um, I think that you can get better products from from Torpedo for less money. And I'm not just talking about the Captor X. They've also done other products like the Studio Live, and then they have the the big load box thing that they're doing for Studio now. And they're all um, 
they're all good products, right? And I think you can get by with the Ox. If you got one, don't feel bad. But I think the Ox is in a very limited market. The only other competing product that I know of that does everything that the Ox does is the Waza tube amp emulator from Boss. And, or the tube amp expander, rather, from Boss. It's a good product. Like yep. A lot of people like it. There's some small limitations that some people have found with it. Um, there have been some firmware updates and things like that. And I suspect when the, when the TAE2 shows up, it'll be really great. And when I, as the same thing, when the Oxbox 2 shows up, they're probably going to iron out a lot of the kinks there. Now, here comes the, the bombshell, right? So as part of the NAM week stuff, UAD comes out with three stomp boxes and they're, they're calling them effects pedals, but they're not calling them guitar effects. And that's like the first thing you need to know. Cause they're like, well, these are so good that you could use them in, in, you know, in a studio situation. These are studio pedals. It's kind of what they're thinking. They came out with a modulation pedal, a delay, and a reverb. And they did this big fancy live stream with, you know, Tor was on there and uh, uh, James Santiago, who I love both of those guys. Actually, James Santiago is a great player and actually helped me unlock the secret of my fuzz face um, just recently. Um, and I I was interested. I was like, you know, what's UAD going to do here? And I get about halfway through the video and then they mentioned that they're $400. And I went, What? are you guys nuts? And I stopped and I, I stopped and I thought to myself, I'm like, wait a minute, they want to be Strymon. That's what this is. UAD seems, seems to think that their product is so premium that they can enter a market space that is filled with competition, very good competition. And in most cases, cheaper than you by a lot and suddenly be this big smash because they have the ox. And I honestly think that their marketing department is a little crazy because if they had done any looking at the market, they would have realized that there are like pedals that, so each of these is like a three function pedal, right? So like I looked at the delay real close cause I'm looking at delays right now and I, it has like a, a toggle switch for, you know, deluxe memory man mode and echoplex mode and something else. Um, I mean, you can get that stuff now from other companies for way cheaper. Uh, I don't understand. I mean, I know that they're saying, well, the UAD proprietary algorithms match everything perfectly. And I'm like, well, if I really want a tube Echoplex sound, I'm going to go buy a Bell Epoch Deluxe. I mean, that's what Eric Johnson uses instead of his Echoplex now. So, you know, it's damn good. Uh, I don't know that, you know, UAD coming out and saying, well, we we have modeled everything accurately is enough for me. Like in all honesty, every company that models anything always says that always. And UAD doesn't have anything that's going to like suddenly make me believe it. It's, it's just, it's like smoke and mirrors at this point. Uh, if you have the money to afford the analog gear, go, go buy the analog gear. If you have, if you want to have a UAD approximation, by all means, pony up, spend 400 bucks of your money on something that do doesn't have a proven track record, um, is coming into a crowded space with other products that I believe probably are already better than it is um, for less money. I mean, I would put my I would put my fathoms up against their their reverb. I don't and, and my my fathoms is like what, like two hundred dollars. It's it's like what what are these people on? You can get a you can get a, a source audio ventress that will just like puke all over all over most of the reverb computers in the market. You can get a specular tempest 
I think that's the name of that pedal, right? And that's cheaper than than the UAD. You can get a Strymon Big Sky for the price of their reverb. Yeah. Like that's crazy. Yep. So they they have a mod, a reverb, and an echo. Um, they're all four hundred bucks a piece. I, I'm sorry. Somebody is is drinking Kool Aid. I've got them up terrible. here on the screen right now. Um, uh, they're they're actually right here above our heads. Yeah. Um, and Bye. yep. Um, you actually just about touched the uh, reverb. So it's funny because um, or echo pedal. Uh, it's just funny because I look at this and I go, are you serious? Are you are you actually going to expect me to pay that kind of money? And um, so another um, another uh, I don't know if he does YouTube or not, but another um, guy that, that does the um, the scene uh, posted the, the modulator. And I went, I can't get because we had talked about pedals. I can't get excited about all three of these pedals. I can't get excited about them. None of them. Modulation. Yeah, they got the uh, Astro Modulator, the Golden Reverberator, and the Starlight, uh, yeah, Starlight Echo Station. And so, if you look at these three, four hundred bucks a piece, and not a one of them does anything that Strymon already doesn't do. Right. And I can I can be honest with you, almost everything that their Echo does, my Bricket Carbon Copy Deluxe does, and it does it for two hundred dollars. Well. I don't think, I mean, it just depends on how specific you want to but, get. It'll be the, the deluxe memory man setting on there. But it's here, not going to be the Echo Plex. Well, I mean, that's I didn't say everything. I said almost. Yeah. But what yeah. what I got into, what I what I said, I didn't, believe me, he and I didn't get into it. I, that's not the relationship we have. <laughs> um, I said, um, and, and he agreed. I said, I don't see this. I don't see this as a pedal. I don't see the use of it at all. It's nothing that a plug-in can't do. Not a one of these is anything that they can't throw onto. With if you spent the money on this, twelve hundred dollars, you could take that twelve hundred dollars, put it into a universal audio um, interface, and load their plugins onto it. And you're done. So what is this doing for you? Are you taking this on the road? Are you taking a four hundred dollar pedal on the road that if you really want to get into the micro cosmic parts of it and make changes you still need a midi controller which probably if you're spending this much money you have right and um and i did the math because you know we've talked about my my pedal board my pedal board is already 2700 bucks you think i want to add yeah twelve hundred dollars more to it or or take a piece off of it and make it make it probably eight hundred dollars more money because i i took my um i just univibe and chorus off and took my uh uh, reverb off, which is my caverns, and took my uh, delay, and then I replaced three three two hundred dollar pedals. Let's say let's pay. Uh, I took six hundred off, and I put twelve hundred on. So I just added. So I made my twenty seven hundred dollar board thirty three hundred dollars. <laughs> Dude, like what? I just eighteen hundred dollars for, or not eighteen hundred? It's twelve hundred dollars for you know, yeah, for pedals that have less functionality than the Strymon mothership. Yeah. Then it's not that they do the same things. They have less functionality. Yeah. Um, and the streaming mothership is still popular with a lot of people. So this doesn't make sense to me. This is UAD saying we're the industry leader in recording. And so we're going to bring out these pedals and you should buy them because we're great at recording. Um, now, here's here's the funny part, right? So 
in the course of their live stream, they said, and this got me, this just got me so bad, so bad. So James Santiago used to be real big on huge racks Inc. years and years ago. And I don't know whether he participated in that forum or whether he was um, like involved in that era of things, but he always had like racks and stuff in his videos when he was doing videos for voodoo lab and all that. And it was really funny because he said like, these pedals are so good. Uh, you know, they could just well be in a rack unit. And I thought to myself, like, why didn't you put them in a rack? Because yeah. I, I'm like, I'm sitting there scratching my head. And I'm like, if these are recording effects, why right. are they on the floor? That's what I said. I said, I, no recording engineer is going to sit there and use his feet. That's not what they're going to do. So they're, they're going to want them in a rack and they're going to want them controlled by MIDI on their board. That's what I said. I'm like, fine, do a pedal version of it. And then just, you know, skip all the MIDI functionality, charge a little bit less, and then put the rack version. So I totally get that, like, there are rack effects, like reverbs and stuff that are better than what you can get for your board. Like, I totally get it, and I totally understand that. And I'm like, that's right. Well, looking at this product and going, if this is that, then why is why didn't they do it the conventional way so they could market the product effectively? Right. Because uh, I don't think these are going to be game-changing. Nobody's going to be looking at these UAD pedals and going, this just totally destroys everything. And I'm going to play $400 for each one. Like nobody's going to be doing that. Maybe like the Uber pros, but like bar band guys, they're not, th this is not marketed at them. This is marketed at the people that already have all of the mono bags for their guitars. They have the, you know, whatever deluxe reverb, special edition, hand wired thing. That's right. And their lumberjack guitar. And they, that's right. And they, they have a beard. They also have, um, not like our beards. They have cool beards. Um, they oh, also have, cool. yeah, <laughs> mine is not, <laughs> this is, this is not because I shave. Um, the, uh, the thing that makes me, me laugh a bit is, uh, that, uh, not only what you were just saying, uh, but those, those people that they're marketing it probably have already the Strymon stuff. Yeah. So why would you? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get rid of my Strymon. It's not going to be nearly as good as this. Oh, come on. Boss. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Boss brought out three effects pedals that basically slay the Strymon stuff. Yep. Both in spec and in program. Yep. And the, like Strymon's still out there killing it. The so Strymon the diehards, yeah, the Strymon diehards are going to keep buying Strymon. They're like the, they're like the Gibson people who love Gibson, the Fender people who love Fender. Yeah, they're they're going to be brand, like brand obsession, I guess. That's I'd right. Sort of that loyalty is going to be there. The boogie guys who love boogie. I mean, you could, I, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of dudes out there that will play nothing but Mesa boogies. That's I almost right. bought thirty the other day. Um, See. I mean, I, I, like, I know people are like, oh, yeah, well, you know, he's a boogie guy because he's got two boogies or whatever. I was going to buy a Dr. Z. Like, what yeah. the hell? Yeah, you're um, going to buy a train wreck, right? It, happened, it just happened to be that, like, I have a, a boogie deal too, and I decided to get this other amp. Yeah. But, like, um, you were going to buy I a Z Rec, right? You were looking at it. No, I, I was looking at a Z Rec Jr. too. Yeah. Um, I was, I was probably going to get, um, What's the the big one that everybody wants? The the flagship. Uh, oh, the mass. oh, the mass. Non reverb. Um, but I I decided against it at the last minute because I was going to have to wait, and I'm like, if I'm going to have to wait, like I might as well just get a Mace Boogie anyway, because I know that I wanted to film more regardless, and I like the amp, so I'm just like, this this fills the same niche, 
Um, and if I don't like it after a year or two, you know, I can always get, I can always sell it and get a, get a mask. But I, I honestly think I'll probably end up keeping this one, um, just because of the historical significance. Right. But, uh, I'm not like, I don't have the, I, I wanted to point out, I don't have the brand love that some people do. Like I can go from one place to another at will. I can go buy Gibson right now and I have no, as much as I dislike what Gibson does, if I find the right one, I'm. I reserve the right to do so. I don't care. Like I remember the episode where I told our listeners, I don't care what they think. Um, that's basically like, that's kind of how I feel about this right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, I, but I do have my opinions about the companies and the way they're run. I think we all do. Um, but I'm looking at, at these UAD products versus something else. I just feel like their marketing department just totally wasn't paying attention. It's like, I, well, yeah. Marketing engineering, the, who did the who did the uh, uh, market analysis on this? Do you think that? Well, that's my point. Do you think that they did a uh, they they arbitrarily decided like we're going to have four hundred dollar pedals? What do we build? Or do you think they went? We have these pedals. What do we price them at? I think it went that way. I you think, think they had way. these pedals? Like, what do they price them at? And I think marketing decided what the price is. I think UAD has drank enough of their own Kool Aid, uh, you know, and it doesn't help that people like. It doesn't help what what you were talking about earlier. That pedal show, right? The yeah. Dan Dan from that pedal show. And no, don't get yeah. me wrong, I love the guys from that pedal show. But um, uh, they they that guy is like, yeah, the Universal Audio, it greatest thing since sliced bread. And then you got Music Is Win, Universal Audio, it's greatest thing yeah, since sliced bread. They're getting them for you got, free. They didn't pay for them. Yeah, and so these guys are out there. They're not paying a, a, a eight hundred dollars for the cheap one. Well, we're on the subject of influencers. The quad cortex showed up this week. Oh God! And guess who had them? They all, all the influencers. Them. All the influencers have them, but there's people who have paid good money for these that don't they have them. Still yet. don't have them. That's exactly right. There's people who paid good money that don't have them in their hands, and yet Rhett Shull had one. All and right, all right, can we? Can we? Can we? <laughs> like I, I, because I'm in the, the gear page right now. I have it up. Um, and the 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 sense of uh, we're on we're on page six hundred and seven of posts about the quad cortex, um, starting back when it was announced, and people are like literally going off in in uh, this thing about like the manual dropped this week. Oh my god, the manual showed up, and it's like, what is wrong with you? Like, why are what what the manual came out? Oh my gosh, we're getting close to launch. YouTubers have them in their hands. Oh, we're going to get them soon. I would be freaking fuming mad if somebody had one before I did because I pre-ordered the goddamn thing. Yeah. And you know damn well that those YouTubers didn't pay a dime for them either. Oh, no. They probably have to give them back. Um, I doubt it. I doubt it. But you take, you take like I said, you take Rhett Shull, Pete Thorne. Um, I don't remember who else had them. And I'm like, are you shitting me? The the people who ordered them don't have them yet. And you've got them out there at Rhett Shull and, and uh, these guys. I mean, nothing nothing against Rhett, nothing against Pete, but come on. They don't deserve to get them before the other guys. And they didn't, they, I, I know this. Rhett Shull didn't go, well, give them to me before you get them to all those guys. No, that's not how it no, happened. No, and I'm sure, I'm sure, like they're not responsible for that. No, maybe that, maybe in that they created the culture that it is. I mean, but like, no, the people that watch that garbage is what created the culture. Yeah, it's not. It's they're not directly responsible for it. You know what I mean? Like they they created the content, and then suddenly the company said, "Well, you're a marketing tool for us." Honestly, and honestly, so, 
I am so glad we're not one of those channels. Can I take a? Can I take it out of that for just a second? Yes. I am so glad I'm I, not one of those channels. Here's why. Here's why. Every, know why I've always been against it. We've had people reach out to us and I've turned them away. Every fucking week. Every fucking week. I watch everybody from poor Robert from Robert's Guitar Dungeon, which um, I talked yeah. to Robert. We're going to try to get him on in a couple of weeks, but um, uh, Robert from, from Robert's Gear Guitar Dungeon to um, uh, Pete Thorne to whoever, and everybody, every fucking one of them, you can you can guess you're going to hear what picks do you use, what um, strings you use, what this to use, what that to use. Would you cut it out? Would you ask serious fucking questions? You've got the ear of someone who, like Tim Pierce, here's the guy who played the solo, you know, to X pop song, and you asked him what fucking picks he used. Seriously, that's where you went. That's that's just so you could say, look at me, look at me. Come I'm on, same, I'm using the same picks as Tim Pierce. God, you're not even gonna go out and buy them. You don't even care. You just wanted to say, look at me, Tim. Look at me. Notice me. Notice me. Can, can I ask a question? Can I ask a question? Yeah, well, that's sure. True, that's true sure. I'm so I'm just I'm just mad about but like, that. But I'll tell you why in a second. If you're the dude that tunes into like uh, Tim Pierce and you're like, what strings do you use so you can buy the same strings? What the hell is wrong with you? Like, not from the perspective of like, oh, I just had to get my voice heard, but like, are you really that insecure that you care right. what Tim Pierce's strings are? A I mean, ask him about. The, the, I mean, not that, not that, like, so, like, Josh Smith, like, I'm interested. I listen to what he does, and, like, I'm yep. like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I don't ever think, like, oh, I'm going to put 13s on my guitar. But I'm, like, I'm watching his yeah. – I'm watching these things with, like, Tim Pierce. Like, Tim Pierce is not a guitar player I idolize. Yeah. I don't think many people idolize Tim Pierce. And I see that kind of stuff going on in his live streams where I'm like, who are you people? Yeah. Like, where did you come from? Where did you, you know? get – why did you get a life? But but you see it. You're you're on the gear page. You're on other gear pages. I know oh, you are. I am. And so I'm in a Gibson forum, and every fucking day somebody asks the same fucking stupid questions. I'm looking at a '60s or a '50s. Which one should I get? Play one for the love of God. Get off your fat ass. Get your fucking head out of your fucking ass and play one. And if you can't make a decision because you're in fucking lockdown, when somebody gives you bad advice, don't go, ah, I got it and I hate it. Shut up. You should have got off your fat ass and gone out and tried it. For the love of Christ and everything that's good in this planet. <laughs> if you... If you, I mean, like, I'm just every fucking how, week, like, this kills me because you're, you're absolutely right, though. Like, how many people on quarantine bought a guitar that was like way out of the price range of what they should have bought? Right. A stimulus check. And then they're pissed off in their guitar forum. I can't like, believe I got as good as I thought it was going to be. And it's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You bought a guitar in quarantine, dipshit. Like, what did you expect? It's not. It doesn't make me play better. No I'm shit. Really to buy a guitar today. Like I mean, I just, it's just absolutely asinine. Um, oh my god! It's it's and then it's like and then I see I see a there's a sunburst and a gold top. Which one should I get? Get the one that you like. Which one do you like? Do you Why ask? Do you care what other people think. Who do you ask? What socks you should wear in a fucking morning? Does somebody dress you? Are you oh, that I insecure? I, Jim, I need to know which one is going to have higher resale value in two years when I try to sell it to you. Yeah, that's true. 
That's true. <laughs> oh my god. It's like and then and then they're always and uh, you know Damn. Just play them. Just yeah. Stop just worrying about resale value. Don't, if you're buying guitars to collect them, just quit. Wait, yeah. it's not a good investment. Just quit. Yeah, and if you're buying guitars to collect them, just buy them. Fuck it. You never know which ones. Did you think when I set my freaking Silvertone on fire that it'd be worth as much money as I've seen them go for, or airline, or whatever it was way back then? I saw. I saw an airline on. Yeah, I saw an airline on freaking. Um, uh, uh, Facebook Marketplace, $2,200 or something. I'm like, are you shitting me? Who would pay $22 for that Jim, piece of garbage? Jim, Jim, do you know why those guitars are worth so much money now? Because so many people did what you did. Yeah. Like if they yeah. didn't suck, they wouldn't be worth anything because they got burned and that made them rare. They're garbage. They're still like garbage. What realize is a lot of these rare guitars that go for a lot of money are crap. They're junk. They're rare because they all the I mean they were mass produced and all the other ones were destroyed. <laughs> well, here's the here's the funny thing. So let's talk about that rare thing for a minute, okay? Let's just talk about that. You know what that actually means? <laughs> there's people going nuts. I I want that '70s Les Paul. I gotta get that '70s Les Paul. My that Les Paul is gonna be better than the one I have. How is, is it better than the one you have? Are you, you talking about know? the? The seventies series, yes. Oh, the new seventies series from from Gibson. Well, All yeah, the, the new ones. Oh, here's a guitar stupid. based on on guitars that were crap when it became. Yeah, here's a out. guitar. Well, that's like Fender doing the seventies because they do their seventies reissue strats and stuff. And like, it, it's always boggled my mind why you would want to get a guitar from an era that like was not liked. And yes, there are seventies Gibsons that are good, like just yeah. like anything else. Yeah, if you get a if you get the right one. But it just seems like that's just a weird thing to model your guitar on. And I know. The, this whole thing with this whole obsession right now, I've, I've watched in the last three years, mini humbuckers. Everybody wants mini humbuckers. Oh, God. Why? Yeah. Why the fuck do you want mini humbuckers? They sound bad. They're not. Like, they're, yeah, not, they're, they're not the same thing as like a PAF or, no. or, or a P90. You know, like, yeah. I mean, no. It, they're, they're just a, they're just a smaller humbucker, like the Gibson with different materials, so they can make them smaller. Yeah, um, the Firebirds. Can you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, um, it, it, <laughs> the thing is that that um, that we we've come into this uh, we've come into this world where it's like, um, uh, there people have this need to have something. You weren't even born in the seventies, right? Which means that most of the people in your age, and I'm making this this comically, by the way, most of the people your age weren't born in the 70s, which means a lot of these hipsters weren't born in the 70s. But I'll be good goddamned if they're not searching for 70s guitars. Listen, guys, I was born, I did live, and I did play Les Pauls, and they weren't all that good. It took me a long time to find one I liked, and then it hung on a wall. A lot of people didn't like it. It hung on a wall. In a little shop in upstate New York for a year while I freaking saved money to buy it. Actually, more than a year. And so it's they're not that good. They weren't that good to begin with. And you take um, – let's let's look at the one that, that's really dr- blowing my fucking mind right now, which is the one that's based on Adam Jones's guitar. Like 
$6,000 for the cheap one or $8,000 for the cheap one and $10,000 for the expensive one or $12,000. Adam Jones didn't pay $12,000 for his guitar, guys. He didn't. And he, and he and he found it and he fucking modded it. And he, and he, and he uses it because whether he modded it or not, he uses it because he liked that one. You might not like that one. Adam Jones did. You might not get up in the morning and want to wear one orange sock and one blue sock, but maybe Adam Jones does. You know what I mean? Does that, does that make sense? He, he has his own reasons for loving what he loves. Maybe he right. likes ketchup on his eggs and maybe it's hot sauce and maybe it's nothing. You should learn to love what you love. Yeah, figure out what it is that you like and stop chasing stuff that you don't. Because um, you're not, you're chasing. Yeah, go ahead. All right, so I got the I got the red unicorn back. That's the neck of the red unicorn sitting back there, um, and the neck is twisted, so the guitar is basically toast, right? Uh, and I'm just trying to play around with it and like you know have some fun with it because it's like it's not gonna it's not gonna kill it, and quite frankly, um, I can play it around the house and not care, yep. you know. So I, I adjusted it today so I could get it playable and it's playable. Um, but, uh, intonation is terrible because, <laughs> because the, you know, the next twisted, but, uh, <laughs> it's funny because like I was chasing the Les Paul thing and we even talked about it, I think on the last episode where it was like, Oh, this is a guitar that, you know, I'll, uh, really like to play and whatever. And, and I'd like to get that back. Cause then I would like to see if I, you know, the body shape would, fit and whatever and i played it today and i was like yeah it's a cool sound i don't know if it's what i'm after like i'm like listening to it i'm like you know what i'm not really all that into this now and i'm kind of i'm doing it about face and i'm realizing like sometimes you just gotta say that's not gonna work for me like even though i think i think les pauls are cool i just it's not what i'm chasing it's i mean it's just not what i'm chasing so uh it's kind of making me reevaluate some things but um I think you can go down those rabbit holes, just like those guys in those forums that are buying the 60s and going, I should have bought the 50s. And it's like, you're chasing something, man. Like, stop. Maybe Les Paul wasn't what you wanted. What you actually want, you know? Yeah. Maybe you want a flying V. Maybe you don't want a Gibson at all. Maybe you want a Fender. I mean, yeah. who, knows, who knows what you want? Um, you have to find it out for yourself. And doing that during a pandemic is not the right time to be doing it. And I know we have people on this show that work for music, for music stores and whatever and that's where i'm like don't do that you know like i don't want to be the guy that's like hey go off and buy an expensive guitar because you got a stimulus check yeah don't do anything with that kind of money until you're sure of what you want believe me i have lots of debt that i'm trying to pay off because i've made a lot of mistakes like that uh i would highly recommend you use your brain instead of your wallet um, and that means maybe not, don't buy a guitar during quarantine, maybe buy a pedal and yeah. hold on to the rest of your money and maybe you'll get something later. Uh, that's, I, I keep saying it's quarantine. We're not in quarantine, right? That's we're we're just sheltering in place or whatever you want to call it right. until this thing blows over. Right. Um, but like I, I know people who, and believe me, I bought, I bought a cabinet. I bought a Captor X. I bought, um, what else did I buy? I bought, I bought several things during quarantine. I think I bought both my cabinets during quarantine. 
I bought this one early. I bought this one a couple months ago. I bought that a couple months ago. I got pedals on my board and all this other stuff that I bought during quarantine. I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, how stupid am I, like, going to the store to risk buying something? I'm like a moron. You I know? was working at the store to risk buying something. What are you, crazy? I got that and that and that and that. and Yeah, I, I mean, it's like sometimes you got to take a step back and realize, hey, maybe quarantine yeah. is about doing more yeah. of what you have, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and and that's why I've made that promise to myself. I'm I'm not making it to you guys. I'm making it to myself. I've made it to myself that I am going still flying to fly proud over here. He hasn't bought anything yeah. music like oriented. Nope. Unless I, that unless that mic stand counts, but Yeah, this, yeah, I did get this because it I was sick and tired of so guys I, yes, another one was, uh, like, let me, was let me show you what was on let me show you what was on my desk. Hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna grab it real quick. And it weighs like twelve pounds. This is crazy. It's it's made by. Oh. So this is what was sitting on yeah. my desk, right? And yeah. This base. I mean, you can't you can't feel it. it's Gator Frameworks. It's really good. Now it's a it's a mic stand for the amp. But let me tell you something, man. This thing weighs a ton, and of course, look at how much space it took up. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I have a boom that's sitting next to me in a tripod, so. Well, yeah, because yours broke. But yeah, yeah so I just I, haven't replaced it. It's been I like bought six this, or nine months now. I'll tell you who to call. Um, but because um, I got a good deal. I know who to call. Yeah, <laughs> he'll give you a good deal. Uh, but um, well, you got a you got a guy too. So uh, I got but, many guys. <laughs> they they know me, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, but yeah, I got my Captor X, just like you. I got my Captor X. Um, but on quarantine, I bought this Fender Twin. I bought that Les Paul. I bought the. Uh, no, the Les Paul was bought before. No, quarantine. the Les Paul was before. Before quarantine. But you got the ES three thirty five. You got and um, this was before quarantine. So yeah, the ES three thirty five. Um, uh, the your Aerodyne, the Tone Master might have been right before. No, it was after. It was, was, it right, no, it was right before, before right, right after. Meant, it was right it was within a week, um, and uh, the the Spark was ordered before um, during quarantine. That was dumb. Um, so yeah, I mean. <laughs> It's just crazy. I, I think that, um, and and it's silly. I I I have owned sixteen or eighteen, maybe twenty Les Pauls in my lifetime. I'm fifty six years old. That's too many. Um, and I've owned you know I've owned old ones. I've owned new ones. I've owned relatively new ones. Um, relatively old ones. It depends on the time. Um, everyone I've owned though wasn't that old. When I had it, <laughs> yeah, it became right, you were older, just new, or or slightly used, you know. Yeah, and and I was chasing something. I did find, but I got to be honest with you, I've had it a couple times. Yeah, you so did. that was dumb. I know that, you did because you yeah. had that. You had that. Uh, that one that gold top when we started the show, the gold top, and then yeah. you let it go, and I was like, "What did, idiot? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what an idiot." There's two of them. There's two of them I've let go in the last six years that I went, what the fuck was I thinking? One was a custom and one was the gold top. And I, I easily could have had both of them still. Uh, so yeah, I dumb, dumb, dumb move and, and dumb move. Admittedly, you know, walk on the, walk on the rocks that I stumbled on people. Just realize that, that these lines in this face, these are, these are from freaking making mass, massive, stupid mistakes. Everybody I, I sold my old strat, bought this one. And I don't think this one's any better than my old one. My old one was 500 bucks. So 
You know what? It just freaking get what you like, get what you get, get what you like, and just live with it. That's why these guys are here. I mean, they, the four on the top, well, the one is the SG is actually over here, but the four on that top row, they're not going anywhere. They're just not going anywhere. And, and it's just because I don't have to search for them anymore. But the but the point is, and you you have stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, like looking at my S five hundred over here. Um, and it's just a guitar that's not going anywhere. Like I've never, I've never had a thought like where I was like, how much I could get for that. My keys are sitting over here. Um, and actually was in the shower and I was like, should I even keep that thing? I was thinking in the back of my mind. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep it. But I'm like, I, I'm just like, I shouldn't have bought that. I should have bought something more like my Strat. Yeah. And I honestly think that that's probably going to steer me next time is like, I kind of know what I like, and there's yeah. no reason to really tamper with that. Yeah, but you're... at the same time, um, it's an interesting journey. You know, I'm going to play a see, bunch of stuff. and I could see you with a Sir. I could see you with a Tom Anderson. We, well, that was something I was talking about with my wife was like, you know, it's that would be an investment instrument. It's something I have to get her, like, approval to do. And because it's like they're three grand. I mean, they're not you're not getting one for less than that, um, especially not for if what I do. Yeah. And yeah, for what I want, I'm I'm gonna spend. So, or you could, would you, you be, know, I could be, see you have to be the one guitar. You know what I mean? Like, um, and if I was to do that, that's got to be after a house. That's got to be after debts disappear. That's yeah. got to be after you know. There's a lot of things that have to happen to make that happen. So, using it as fuel is helpful to me. And like that's the one thing I I wanted to point out because um, I know I've had some conversations with some show visitors and stuff, and I'm like. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it's like, I want everybody to realize when I say that, I don't mean like right away. Like I mean long term because right now I'm more content than I've ever been. Um, and I'm actually kind of kicking myself because some of the things that I've learned about my gear that I have right now are things that could have applied to gear I have sold and probably could have been content two or three years ago, maybe even longer before I had the Helix. Yeah, you know, um, uh, I'm going to say this, you know, n now that they have the captor, because the captor was really the last uh It's the missing link, man. My, yeah, it was the, we're, it was the missing string. And the only reason... Thing, you're like, holy crap! Yeah, like, and, why didn't I buy this before? The only reason I didn't have... Well, the Captor X that we have is a relatively new product. It's not No, I know, product. I know, it's but it's like, why didn't somebody have this already? Like, right, why didn't this, this exist? These things the are Torpedo awesome. Live would have been the other thing yep. that we could have done. Yeah. So. Yeah. But anyway, what I was what I was saying is, so I have the Capture X only to record. I, and if I didn't, if I wasn't recording it, if I wasn't doing the show, if I wasn't, you know, um, doing the thing which I'm I've been recording today and I'm I'd be doing when I get done. Um, there's there's nothing that that I would go. And it's funny because every year before this, and you know that because you were you saw me last year. Every, and the year before, and the year before, every year at Nam, I'm like, oh, I want that, I want that, I want that. And this year, I'm not. I mean, products you're interested in. Right? Yeah, there's. And, I mean, the Chrissy Hind is is cool, and I I I, I like the look of it and everything else. But I, I do I really need a Telecaster? I I just no. don't. And and the yeah. fact is that that I'm doing everything I need to do now. Yes, yeah, somebody might go, well, you need a Telecaster to do this. Well, I'm. You don't no, need, I don't a need it. You can do everything you want on a Strat. You can do everything you want on an SG. Yeah, that's like, what I was going to say. I, and, and honestly, like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, you need a Les Paul for it. No, listen, 
Les Pauls are a very, a very narrow range of music that people have used them historically to play like blues and classic rock and hard rock. And if you get to like jazz, like there's not a ton of people playing Les Pauls and jazz. Now I know I'm going to get like 50 million emails, but, um, there was this guy named Les playing, Paul that did. But yeah. You could find guys in jazz playing strats too. Yeah. I like yeah. you're gonna find but I'm just saying and that that's not predominantly what you use that for. Right. Um so you've got all your bases covered. I yeah. mean, you don't need you don't even need you could right now, Jim, you could have your SG, that three thirty five, and your strat, and you have everything you need. Yep. Like that's the kind of the way I look at that. Like I Les Paul, superfluous. Um you need a bass because you play bass, but like people, people have this attitude, this mentality that's like, well, I got to play the guitar that was on the record doing it this way. And I just like, you saw Mike last night on that little live stream all night um, long, one guitar, Yep, one guitar and one rig, one amp and really not a whole lot of sounds. I mean, he was doing different things in the pedal board all night, but like w- when you see that, it makes you realize it ain't really about how close you get to the record. Now there are certain parts he nails, like he does the, you know, the run like hell delay and, and uh, stuff like that. But um, those are very specific things for those specific songs, Yep. but he didn't have to change his amp. He didn't have to change his guitar to do it. And I mean, we're, but he's playing stuff from, you know, Jeff Beck playing on Les Pauls to, you know, um, David Gilmore playing strats and he's doing it all in a strat with X coils. And like, that should be the realization for anybody when you go see a band where the guy never even bothers to change his guitar and they get through the whole set and nobody's bitching. That should be a wake-up call for everybody in the room. You don't have to do any of that. Work on your playing more than you do researching gear, for the love of God. I mean, Jim and I do it because partially the show. Uh, for me, actually, it's mostly the show. Um, and boredom, especially during quarantine. Like, I'm sitting here and I'm like, yeah, hey, I wonder what these go for on Reverb. No intention of buying one. Just wanted to see what they go for, or yeah. just to look at pretty pictures. Yeah, and that's another thing. Is like I like to look at the pictures sometimes and see like old guitars or cool finishes. And, yep. Um, doesn't mean that's necessarily that might want to own, but it's it's entertainment. You know, I'm into guitars. Like it's entertainment, and I think a lot of people get this this idea in their head that like if you're looking at them, you must you buy must them. Want them. Yeah. No, you no. don't have to. Nope. You don't have to. You can window <laughs> shop. It's fine. Yeah, that, um, that that is absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Um, you know, it, it makes me, you know, it makes me look at things differently. You know, there was a couple of years ago. Let's let, let's say this. A couple of years ago, I said, "Oh, I'd love to have a custom shop Les Paul or a custom shop PRS," and I would put it in a glass case. Now, whatever. I don't have that one. Why? Anymore. I don't Why? have that desire anymore. That's what I'm saying. If I bought a VOS, Jim, if I bought a VOS, I'd play it. Yeah, and I ain't same fucking. Here. I'll take it to every goddamn bar gig. I just don't care. Yeah. I bought that guitar to play it. Yeah, like I, I know there are people out there like you couldn't take that to a gig. Hell yeah, I could. I don't care if it gets knocked off the stand. I'll have a headstock fixed, and it'll be like a real Gibson. Yeah, bullshit. Um, I'll take like, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'd be like everybody else's. <laughs> that was the problem. Like I don't understand. Um, and Do you know how many famous freaking Les Pauls have headstock breaks? Come on. Oh, yeah, good luck fencing a VOS, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, good luck with that. Let me know how that goes for you. Um, <laughs> you better believe I'll have insurance on it, and I'll have the serial number on it. But if it gets stolen, I'm not going to cry. I'm going to go back to Gibson and be like, I'll buy another one. Um, 
Mm-hmm. It, it that's what's funny about a lot of this stuff is like people act like everything's a collector's item and especially above the three thousand dollar market. And I'm like, no, there is no such thing as a collector's guitar. As far as I'm concerned, I know people collect guitars, but like I look at it as this: um, there are old guitars. And the old guitars may be better, and so they go for higher prices, and they've also been speculated on by collectors. And so I look at it as, as there really aren't any collector's guitars because there's no collector's market. People act like, oh, you know, the, the 59 Les Pauls are going for, um, what are they, uh, like, you know, $250,000 now. It's like that's a collector's instrument. You realize there's less than 3,000 of those in existence. Like that's why that is a $200,000 guitar because there is a collector's market for that. But if you go look at 57 strats, you can get those for under $20,000 all day long. Well, here's part of the problem that, that PRS freaking fed right into is that that lunar sky or lunar pry, whatever the hell lunar moon unit. Yeah. They're creating. There is a collector's market because they allowed it to exist. That, um, that and the people who bought it, you, you didn't have to buy it. Ooh, look at that color. Right. Just say, the guitar, oh, the look at that color. Did, right when they were doing the shows in the nineties and the eight, and the, really the mid eighties, late eighties, because a lot of people say the vintage guitar market didn't exist until nineteen eighty seven. For whatever reason, like nineteen eighty seven, people yeah. had money and they were going out and they were buying guitars like right and left, and they were just putting them in cases, and sticking them in their house. Yep. And then that was when the idea of the, the investment guitar happened, which That's was right. actually a thing. We're talking about buying 57 strats and Les Pauls, uh, you know, 58, yep. uh, 360 Les Pauls and being like, this is our, you know, 57, 58, 59 Les Pauls. These are, these are our collector's guitars. Yep. And I just, I like, I, I still don't, I can't fathom the bubble the will break on that. Oh, I know. That's why I'm like, even now, people keep buying these things and they're driving the market up. I could, Jim, I about shit a brick when I saw that the, the Les Pauls were going for two fifty. I was like, two hundred fifty thousand dollars? You're kidding some me! Of are, some of them are up upwards of three hundred thousand, and that's with no, um, uh, what's the word I want? It providence, provi- providence, Pro- providence. Yeah, like, no, right? There's no because because there is no factory guide of like how many serial numbers or whatever. Like they were trying to buy that. Because yeah. they don't have that, and they know yeah. there's a bunch of fakes out there, and they'd love to invalidate them. Because right. um, then that drives the price of the VOS up. But um, I was uh, thinking about this the other day, like all these collector's items that have that have occurred in the music industry. I don't think they're ever going to bottom out to zero, but I could see a day when when like the the bursts are back down to a hundred thousand, and a fifty-seven Strat is like ten grand. I could see that happening. Yep. Um, I just. I don't know when it happens, and I think that it will largely be dictated by the fact that at some point those guitars will no longer be cool. They won't. Um, some form of music, which which look at Gent, like look at the whole like Gent metal scene. Nobody's playing vintage guitars in Gent metal, and nobody, no guitar commands that kind of price. They just won't, because nobody. Right. Ten years from now, fifteen years from now, no one is going to be going. I can't Gent on this new guitar, whatever that new guitar is. Yeah. Nobody's going to say, yeah. oh, I can't buy a new Solar or a new, uh, I don't care if Ibanez, RG. Whatever, Hyatt, whatever. RG or yeah, Prestige. whatever. Yeah, maybe they're upwards of three, three and a half thousand by then. But still, that that's going to be the top end of the guitar because they, they can still jet on it. And if you think about it, how many more Joe Bonamassas are there going to be? How many more Blues Warriors right. can we have? 
Well, that's my point is I think at some point the market, it's not going to disappear, but it's going to bottom out. Right. And we just haven't hit it yet. And well, actually, yeah, uh, there's a kid, um, and I say he's a kid. Guy's got to be like under 27 years old, and he's got he's got a YouTube channel, and he's got like 10, 50 strats. And you're sitting there going, how can he have 10, 50 strats, like at five thousand or ten thousand a piece? No, number one, I went trust fund, right? He also lives in this shitty apartment. It's his backdrop for his videos, and you can see his cabinets are all like worn out and like need to be painted and shit. And it's funny, it's funny because it's like, yeah, that I could totally see myself doing that, right? Um, but I'm, I'm also kind of like looking at the situation. I'm going, dude, you got like fifty thousand dollars wrapped up in guitars. Where's your priorities? Like, you got no investments for the future. If and, you think your guitars are an investment, you, and like, if you, you're lying to yourself. If you <laughs> think somebody's not going to figure out where you live, and you know, that's like having all your money in a, in a under the mattress. Seriously, I mean, I don't know where he lives. He may not actually live in an apartment, but it looks like an apartment. No, right? I'm just saying that. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying. If right, you know, you're putting these on parade, and I'm sure he's selling them. He's trying to do a trogly, right? Like he plays them and then he puts them on reverb. Um, well, that's like, a smart move. Which, which is fine because he's trying to look for the right guitars for his gig, is what he's doing, and that's all fine and good. Which, by the way, he plays some nutso amplifiers in this in this like little condo situation he has, like 15 inch speaker showmans, you know, cranked all the way up to 10. I'm going. Your landlord doesn't kill you, you know, like not not, not evict you. Doesn't show up to your property and have you murdered. I mean, um, I would be surprised if your windows are still intact. <laughs> anyway, um, I just i I hesitate to think that it'll it'll change the industry when it bottoms out. Yeah, and this is what I was what I was really going to point out though is like so right now, if you want a master built. 57 strat right because it was when we've been it was about twenty four thousand dollars. i think that's what they're going for right now um i can verify that um but if you're going to master built one you're going to pay about five thousand dollars for it um and um so if we uh stratocaster if we it, yeah, so they're about four, four to five thousand dollars for for a uh, closet queen version. Um, I'm looking for an actual real one. Let's just do price high to low. That's a can't you pick the actual year? It's hard to. Um... You can uh, they go for so? Uh, that's not a real fifty seven custom drive. So eight nine thousand for different these different custom shop like special one offs. Um. There's a Todd Krause, there's a John Cruz. Just show me a real 57. Like, what the hell? You tell me you got you don't have any? Look at the sold listings. That's where probably we should be looking at anyway. High to low. Um, these are all like, here's a Wildwood special run. Anyway, last time I saw one go for it was for like 24,000. And it had everything all original. Guitar was in decent shape. It wasn't it wasn't totally thrashed. And I, I I have to imagine that if the market on those comes down to 15 or 10, that the custom shop ceases to exist because $5,000 for the, for the, you know, the real one or the, the custom shop versus the real one at 10,000, like custom shop doesn't need to exist anymore. Yeah. Um, 
And same thing with Fender or for, for Gibson, like, except for the VOS, this, you know, the 60, cause the, cause the burst is really the old, that's, that's the other thing that's puzzling to me. The burst is really the only Gibson that commands those kinds of prices at vintage. That's models. right. Yep. Um, like you could buy a, a 67 or not 67, like, like a 59 ish, 335, like from that time period. Cause I don't think they were made in 59, right? I think they started in 61 or something like that. The 335. No, they were made, they started in 58. Is that what it was, 58? Yeah, 55 is the reason that everybody gets off. It's because uh, that's when the movie happened, and they didn't exist right. in 1955. Yeah. yeah so They didn't so exist 50, until 58. 58, the 335 happens, right? And, like, you can go buy a 58, 335 for, like, 12 grand or, or 20 grand. Yeah, it's not that they're not. They're not astronomical. Not No, um, not compared to uh, the, what do you call it? Not it's compared funny to because a, you can get a Gibson Les Paul custom in those years for less money than you get. you would pay for the... For those I bursts. Know. I know. I was getting there. I'm like, you can buy any other guitar from the lineup. Some of them are very affordable. If you want like a Melody Maker or yeah. a Les Paul Jr. or something from that time period, you're looking at like, you know, three yeah. grand, four grand. Some of them are yeah. six. You know, it just yep. depends on what you're looking at. Yeah, Even depends SGs, on if it's like 61 to 64 SGs, they're under 12 grand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- like, so – this whole this whole mythology that that vintage guitars are are totally unaffordable. Yes, they are unaffordable for the average player, but if the market bottoms out, things change, and those yeah. guitars can become. And maybe they're not. Spe- maybe it's like stocks, right? Like they're not really being speculated on, so they'll stay the same. But I can't imagine that that they're not going to lose some of that hump because yeah. of you know well. The, you really want a 57, but, but you'll buy this instead. So it's, it's worth an extra thousand dollars kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I think I'm hopeful on that. I, I think that, um, I also think we're going to get to the point where we have production relic guitars that are very good. And I think it's not very far off. Um, with CNC yeah. being what it is, that's probably in the next five years you're going to start seeing some real relicking at prices under a thousand dollars. Yep, I, I um, um, already you know uh, seeing the Chrissy Hines, which is at fifteen hundred. The the relic job they did was actually pretty decent. Um, great, no, but decent. Yeah. But here's what's funny. So my birth year, I'm fifty six years old, right? I'll be fifty seven this year. Um, so. My birth year guitar for Stratocaster only goes for like 20,000, give or take. There's one, there's a closet queen looking one that's 37,000, but um, that's the asking price. But most of them are asking right around $22,000 uh, to $20,000. Now, when you, I put that perspective, um, that's a 50 something year old guitar. There are people clamoring for that stupid sil- uh, Silver Sky. They're willing to pay six, eight, ten thousand dollars for that freaking Lunar Cry model. Yeah, it's nuts. Come on, it's you, nuts. You, that's bananas. It's the same exact guitar. Go buy the white one on the wall at the local shop. I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, we've turned a, we've turned a corner for two and a half hours. I think no, we're almost there. But uh, yeah, the point is that I think I think we both are in agreement with this. It's not. <sighs> You've got gear. Uh, John Bott joined me in the year of no gear, and believe me, he almost broke it. He ordered a pedal and returned it. He didn't even take it out of the box. He ordered it and returned it. I got to give him 
Props to you, John. All right, um, John. Like, yeah, congratulations. Good job. That's a, you got, you're a better man than I. <laughs> he, he texted me. He was all excited. He goes, I, I kind of let him down because I think, I think I let him down because he goes, he goes, I'm so excited. I just, I just bought a new, um, a new panel that's on the way. And I said, yeah, I don't care. I, I, I can't get excited about it. And I think, I don't remember if it was a mod pedal or a reverb pedal. And he goes, but it's this reverb. And I go, yeah, it's just not a reverb, man. I said, do you really want that reverb? And he got it in. He goes, you know what? You were right. I just returned it. I didn't even open the box. Why do I he want a reverb? I'm, I'm not unhappy with the reverb I have. I think what happens is we get unhappy, not with what we have. We get unhappy with how we're using what we have. Does that make sense? I think that's part of it. And I think we also, if you're anything like me, you get excited about new things because you, you see possibilities in it. Yep. And if you don't connect with it, then it's like, well, that was a waste. Um, and that's what happens a lot of the time. Like I'll buy something and I'll be like, I'm really excited about this and this is going to be so much potential. And then I get a home and like, yeah, I do something with it, but I'm like, you know what? This is really not all that necessary. I went back and forth about buying a synth pedal this year. Yeah. Um, and, or in 2020. And I was like, I really want to get one. And like, I can still see some uses for it. And I, and I very, very well end up getting an Atreides at some point. But, um, I held off and it was because it was like, I'm just bored. Like, that's really what it is. I'm bored. I want to get yeah. something new to just dick around with. And like, I don't need that. Yeah. I, what I need to do is spend some money on some lessons or to go and like, just play, like yeah. just play backing tracks or something and stop worrying about gear. Like I cannot stress this enough. We are, we are borderline a gear podcast half the time. And I want to tell our listeners, stop worrying about gear. Really stop. Like, it's nice to know what's out there and it's available to you so that when you do need some gear, like, you know what's there. But the reality is you're going to get a lot more mileage out of just playing your damn instrument. I, um, I have an idea. I have an idea for a new segment. This is, this is totally, you tell me if this is a good idea. For this, from now on, what we do is we have a new segment called What Did You Learn About the Stuff You Already Have? What did you learn to do with the shit you've I, already can we got? Can we do it for this week? Because I already have one. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. All right. So I'm I'm ashamed to admit this. I'm a fuzz face uh, Oh, yeah, hi, yeah. I'm go David. ahead. Hi, I'm David, and I have a problem. Um, <laughs> and so I've been using fuzz faces on and off for probably the better part of 20 years. Um, I got into fuzz faces because I was into Eric Johnson and I was like, Oh, he used one. And I didn't really even know like what he was using it for. I, I didn't have good enough ears at that time to tell when he was turning it on and off. I'm like, most of his sound is probably coming from his tube screamer and his, uh, Chandler tube driver. But so I got a fuzz face. I got my first fuzz face. Probably. Oh, I would say I was probably still in high school and I didn't have it very long. Cause I thought it sounded like shit and I sold it. And then I just kind of went down this journey of like buying different ones over the years. I got to uh, I got into Philip Sacy and I found out he was using a pedal called the Ox Fuzz, which is a fuzz face handmade in that sky by this guy I knew in Canada. So I reached out to that guy and I got one. I had it um, for I think I had that fuzz for about three years, and like one day it just I got to the point where I was like, this thing won't even do Unity gain. Like I need to dump this thing. Now <laughs> we'll go back there in a second. Um, so then I had you know the various Jim Dunlop mini fuzz faces uh, in between, which which are great pedals, by the way. Like, I like all of them. 
Um, they're collectible as shit. And I know I said don't collect things, but if you're going to collect things, collect pedals. That's a good thing to collect because yeah. you can have you. Hey, I'm a doing cheap, this gig. I want this yep. one. Um, <clears throat> Interchangeable anyway. quickly. And especially with like fuzz faces, they're all different. Um, I know that they say like, well, the red ones all sound the same now. That you know, the current red ones are all geranium, right? Um, and then of course there's the red with the white knobs, but that's a whole other thing. But they're like, oh, you can just use all these. Listen, take the time to learn to use your fuzz face, and I'll tell you why. So I've been using it on 10. I did those fuzz facts videos for the show. They're always on 10, right? And I'm using the the volume knob to control everything because that's the best part about that pedal is that like (laughs) a millimeter, micrometer move on the knob, you're clean. And you're like, what the hell? It's like having a second channel. Um, And the, the... the guitars I use have like a, a bass and a treble control. Uh, they're passive, obviously PTB tone controls and GNL. So I'll roll back the bass knob to get the fuzz to clean up. Cause that also helps too. So I had some, uh, I, I was working with my son face. I was just like putting my board together and changing things out, trying some new things and like messing with pedal order and all this. And what I realized was, and it's just bonkers. I got to do a video cause I got to show it. Um, I watched James Santiago's video talking about fuzz faces and James Santiago says, uh, he's got a silicon fuzz sitting there and he says, if you roll back the fuzz control until the fuzz gets fat sounding and darker, that's really where you want it set. And then he's like, then you can put it into a tube screamer or some other drive pedal and get this big fat full feature, you know, full featured fuzz sound that isn't like overly compressed. And basically, it's the Eric Johnson thing, right? Like, that's kind of what it sounds like. Right. So I'm like, why the hell would you ever dial your fuzz control back? Like, I'm, I, even when I'm watching this, I'm like, what? And um, now I have, of course, done this. Like, this is not this is not rocket science, right? So I'm like, you know, I've run it halfway. I've run it. I've run with the fuzz knob all the way down and the volume all the way up and like all these different all these different commutations and permutations over the years. The fuzz face never cleans up. You can turn the fuzz fuzz all the way down. It'll still be a fuzz. Um, So I start playing around with it. And what I realized was he's absolutely right. There is a very specific position on the pedal where the fuzz knob, and and they're all different, where you're going to get that optimal setting for the fuzz knob. And think of it like tuning, right? Right. And then the volume knob is you set it at unity gate or slightly higher. And just run it into whatever, like, I did that with my King of Tone, and I was like, what the fuck? Like, what have I been doing? And then I was like, like, oh, I'll put it on the clean channel map. It'll probably sound like shit there. And I put it on the clean channel map, I'm like, oh my god, this isn't ripping my head off. Like, it's not super bright and, like, scratching at my eyes and the back of my ears. And I realized, like, in that moment, I was like, wow, you're an idiot. You've been playing these pedals for probably 15 plus years. And you never understood how they worked. And like all of a sudden it just all came into view. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? And so now I I reordered my board. My fuzz is never, is not the end of my chain anymore. It's right next to my King of Tone so that I can use it as a gain stage. Um, probably the predominant sound like for boosting on my board is just turn a fuzz face on and yeah. like let it rip. Because it's not the way it's set up now. It doesn't make the amp sound less gamey. Um, it actually makes it browner, which is weird. Um, but it does it does change a little bit of the saturation characteristics. But when I turn on the King of Tone, all of a sudden it becomes a ripping fuzz, and it sounds great. 
I'm like, I've just been missing out on this for, for years. I like never, I was never able to get it to sound right. So now why I'm kicking my ass about the ox fuzz is because that pedal probably sounded freaking great because I remember when the game control was maxed out, then it wouldn't reach unity volume. So if I'd roll the game knob back a little bit and probably found that sweet spot, I probably could have gotten better than unity volume and it probably would have been great because it, because it was fine when it wasn't like fully saturated. So you definitely need to do that. Yeah. You definitely need to do that video because that's, that's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's wild. And it's, it's, I even show my wife because my wife, like she knows, she knows what the fuzz face sounds like. She's, she hears me playing them all the time. And she comes in here and she, I said, I said, listen to this. And I kicked on the fuzz face and she goes, she goes, it's not, what, what, what the hell? (laughs) Like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Like, this is awful. Just like talk about getting kicked in the nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Something I thought I knew. And like, I was so audacious that I decided I was going to do a video series about him. And I'm like, still learning new shit about him. Where, where like, that's an obvious one. Everyone who uses a fuzz face should know that shit. Like that even shouldn't even be a discussion. So you can still learn new stuff about gear. I mean, yep. that's a pedal in a circuit that I've been using for 20 plus years. And I just figured out how to use it. Right. Well, next week I'll talk about the <laughs> thing I learned about my SG and I'll, I'm going to save that for next week. Do you have a, just out of curiosity, have you ever experimented with the fifties tone control out? Like the fifties tone controls on. Well, so you know that Gibson has like multiple wirings, right? So they have like the old school wiring and then they have the, the, like the ones where the, the volumes are separate. Right. And there's one like they bleed and I fear what they're, I fear what they call them. But like, I have all my, when I do Gibson guitars, I have, I have them fifties wired. Yeah. Cause they, they sound different. So yeah, that uh, one's fifties wired. I don't know what the standard is wired, right, but yeah. Right. Um, uh, the SG, I mean, um, I'm so not gonna go too deep on this Jim's got next week. So yeah, I'll, I'll do next week. I'm going to talk about my SG. I'm going to put a little, um, a little thing together for it. I've been, you know, I've been playing it for the last few days to try to get something, um, different. I wanted to get something that wasn't ACDC. It was, you know, something bigger and badder. So, all right. Well, no, that's it. That's it for the week. I think. Yeah. I have been David. I've been Jim, so we've been practical guitarists. Cue the music. Yeah, I think so.